Welcome to the first episode of Super Kicks and Thigh Slaps with G-Man, G, that's me, and Steve. That's me. We are very excited to talk about what we're going to talk about in this first episode, which is Thunder Number One. And I have to say, Steve, it was the longest wrestling show I think I ever remember watching. Okay, so let's start off by saying that I did not think this was three hours. I didn't either. <laughs> I did not remember the first Thunder being three hours. Now, I watched on the network, so after commercials and everything, it was like two hours and 25 minutes. Mm-hmm. But holy crap, that was long. Oh, my God. Are they all three hours? Yeah, I think they will. I just, no, I wonder, did Nitro finally, when it got to the back end, cut down to... Well, this is the thing. I never watched Thunder as a youth. I only watched Nitro. Yeah, same here. And so I would imagine that the show finally cut down when Nitro cut down. Nitro did cut back down at some point, didn't they? I honestly don't remember. Man, I don't either. Okay. It's too long. Yeah, I don't either. Uh, but this is what I believe. I believe that the other versions of Thunder will not be as bad as this one. This one was bad <laughs> because they didn't have anything to do. They were just trying to sell the show from Nitro. And oh, yeah. I What was that? Yeah, it's so many recaps. Yeah. I'm sure we'll get to that. Yes, we'll get there. But I can't <laughs> one, two, three, four, uh, five, six, Seven, eight, nine, ten flashbacks. Ten flashbacks. Jeez. <laughs> so, to tell everybody why we are uniquely qualified to talk about this show, mm-hmm. you and I have known each other since 95, maybe? I think it was a little bit later than that. Okay, that that makes sense. So maybe in the in the ninety eight ish area. Yeah, I think we're in late nineties. Yeah. Okay. All right. That makes sense. That makes sense. You are a stalwart Canadian superhero, mm-hmm. and I am one of seven black people in Utah. There we go. <laughs> and so, if no one is better <laughs> to discuss wrestling, it is us two. I, I mean, I wasn't the only black family on my street, so you know. Okay, yeah, there you go. We're, we are we are ebony and ebony from across <laughs> across the continent, as it were. And we also are going to have at the end, after we discuss Thunder, we're going to have our Hall of Fame because we and a group of our friends who we hope all listen to this. We like to sit around and talk about sometimes serious, sometimes not so seriously. Who should be in the Hall of Fame? Wrestling Hall of Fame. Professional Wrestling Hall of Fame. It's right. Professional Wrestling Hall of Fame because I only know like six amateur wrestlers and they all are professional wrestlers. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that there are some people that are in there in the only true, air quotes, Hall of Fame, that's the WWE slash WWF one, that 
maybe shouldn't be there. Maybe. Then there's guys like the big boss man who obviously should be there, but there's some discussion. And then there are people that we really need to talk about that are very important to us. And I think that the the fun part about talking about our Hall of Fame is that the serious guys will really inform our watching history. Like, I am really ready to have a conversation about Bret Hart with you. I'm really ready, assuming that you're going to put him in your Hall of Fame at some point. One never knows. Well, that's true. I don't want to spoil anything, but I'm just saying I expect at some point now, maybe that's not the first heart you put in there. Maybe we have to have a good stew heart conversation first. Right, and I know, obviously, we're going to have a natty conversation because, look. See, that's going without saying that we'll be saying a lot about natty. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's going to be an interesting conversation to have there. So we'll do that at the end. And the other most important thing that I just want to make sure everybody understands when we do this is don't be mad at Vince. Like, just don't be mad at Vince, mm. okay? Mm. I mean, I think you agree with me when we say don't be mad at Vince. Yeah, oh, 100%. <laughs> Thoughts crosses your mind being mad at Vince? Okay, that Don't do it. Don't be mad at Vince. There's a lot of people to be mad at. Don't be mad at Vince. Mm. Like, if you're going to sue him because his leg folded during, like, a virus, <laughs> don't be mad at Vince. Don't do it. These things have happened sometimes, you know. Look, you just sometimes there's viruses. Sometimes you got to close your football league. Don't be mad at Vince. That's all we're saying. Yeah. All right. So let's get into Thunder number one. I meant to rewatch a little bit of this before we started today, and then I thought, no, there's no way. I'm just going to go from what I wrote down in my memory. There's no way that I can get back in there and find little pieces to remind me of anything that I want to experience a second time. The date is January 8th, 1998. Wow, January 8th, 1998. And Nitro, whatever, was just, there was just one Nitro after Starcade between now and the show, which we'll bring up at least one time. I thought there were two. Oh, was there one Nitro? I thought there was just the one. Maybe there was two. And the, all the problem is all these stupid Nitro flashbacks <laughs> yeah. just have melded into this one monster. But I thought that the reason why they did all this Nitro stuff is because it was the direct rematch for the title from After Starcade. See, okay, it did take detailed notes, but I feel like they recapped two Nitro. Okay, okay, and I didn't keep track of the Nitro, and they said the date and everything, and I guess I should have, but I just, in my brain, I was just like, look, this is one seven-hour Nitro, and we have to keep recapping in this damn show. So, okay, so that's fair. So there could be, there's likely two Nitros. I will not be able to tell you which one is which. And oh, if, if you want to know which one is which, not even the Nitros at this time were mostly enjoyable, honestly. Um, but we have a few things that we get to talk about as far as really this being the beginning of the end. I mean, launching another three-hour show on top of Saturday Night and Nitro you know, Nitro would three hours, and I think Saturday night was like an hour. But launching another show with the creative team they had, it by itself likely started their downfall. Oh, yeah. I don't know how much I'm going to reference other podcasts uh, 
on this journey of ours, but even Eric Bishop admits on the, his podcast with Conrad Thompson that, yeah, they were stretching way too thin by the show. No, I think it's good because the, the, those other podcasts, I mean, I listened, you know, after I I had forgotten what happened at Starcade, and so after I had watched it, I was like, I have to rem- I have to look and see what the heck people are talking about to justify this thing because woof. <laughs> and we'll get to that when we get there. If you if you guys don't know, the literal thing that probably killed WCW, in my opinion, was the Starcade 97 finish. I think that was the worst thing that they did as a company at to that point. And they Yeah, they did some bad stuff though, but still, that's pretty bad. I mean the finger poke of doom was bad. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk about because he comes up about seventy five times with Bret Hart. I can't believe how they screwed that up. Okay, so let's get going. Let's get going. The first thing I want to cover is the show intro, which cracks me up every time I watch it. Because the nitro intro had the fire and the boom and explosions and all the things, right? The thunder intro has like some raindrops and like some shots of like six guys. I'm like, what the hell is this? It was so baby Nitro, it really made me laugh. So we get through that. I know. We get we get through that intro, which is awesome. It's just so low rent because they. I mean, I think that they maybe intelligently knew. Like, look, we don't have to at this time. We could. We just need to have a show. We could just start it with just Hulk Hogan's left arm and be like, it's more WCW, right? So I get that they probably get that, but wow. I'm just like, that's all? So we get through the intro, and we get to this set. And this set looks like, it looks like the old uh, Castle Castle Grayskull He-Man toy. There, And I'm like, what about this set says Thunder? What about it? Could you just describe it as a bunch of rocks? Yes, it's like a it's like a rock wall, but not ro- but it's more like it's like Art Deco rock. It's weird. It was so weird. And they had these doors, but these doors had to be manually operated. <laughs> I was like, what did you do this for? <laughs> the doors work intermittently. Yeah, and. They didn't have to, they didn't need to hide anything. It's not like these doors were protecting you from a surprise. Like by the time the camera got there, they were open and you got the laser show and then people walked out. So it was really weird, weird decision. I also noted as I was watching the show start that I kind of miss Pyro. Pyro was like really cool thing in wrestling. Mm-hmm. It's kind of sad that it doesn't really happen as much anymore. Well, the pyro, well, obviously now because they're doing the empty arena shows, right? Probably pyro because that's the point, right? But since AEW came back, wrestling, mm. the pyro has returned. Well, that's good. That's good. I think pyro was such a cool, like when I th- when I think about as a kid having my own entrance. You know what I mean? Like what I would have, like the unique pose pyro was like the absolute most integral part of that. 
My favorite of all time was Christian's from the ceiling, kind of spray showery. Oh, yeah. That was my all-time favorite Nitro or uh, Pyro when I sat and thought about it. I was like, there's been some really good Rob Van Dam's little, like, pose shooting around the Titan border I, I was a big fan mm-hmm. of. Um, Goldberg's was just really unique. That's a classic. Did you have a favorite? Do you have a favorite Pyro now that you're thinking about it? I really like the Dudley Boys Pyro. Oh, God. That one was and, awesome. And when I imagined it for myself, I would have had it slower. Like, the uh, pyro was cut down yeah. and kind of hit the tron and then explode. Oh, I yeah. slower and just had a big boom. Yeah. No, that's a good one. Dudley Boys are good. Yeah, pyro was just so awesome. Uh, all the time. I always liked pyro. So, that's good. It's good it's coming back. I have taking a break from modern wrestling for the mm-hmm. most part. Um, and so I enjoy watching this older stuff because it gives me some of that back without having to watch Nia Jax try to kill someone in the in the ring. Which she's yeah, going to do. She's going to kill someone at some point. No, no. She might just paralyze someone. <laughs> murder. Well, fair, fair enough. Somebody is going to have a wrestling career change. Because of that woman. Mm. Ugh, God. With all okay. due respect to Maya Jack. All due respect. Well, I mean, she is she is my favorite Lady Hoss, but she's not great. And charitably say there's room for improvement. <laughs> that, is, that is a very nice way to put it. There is a little bit of room for improvement. Yes. Yes. Then you can say that for all of us. But you know what? All of us have a little bit of room for Exactly. That's true. That's true. Maybe one day she might want to watch WCW Thunder with us. That would be nice. Well, that's a good point. One day, somebody that is either in, in part of this show or part of wrestling will listen to this if we're so lucky. And so I guess we better hedge our bets. Uh, I would love to have... Yeah, I would love to have people that I don't even particularly like, like Cornette, for example, like talking about oh, this. Real. Well, his, his wrestling history, he's so great at, and I would I would just put a microphone in front of him and just have him talk about how much he hates Russo just again, <laughs> all the time. It's so awesome. So we're going to look, people, we're going to digress a few times because we just are getting to talk about wrestling, which is fun. We'll get, look, there's a lot of garbage here, so just calm down, okay? So the show starts at the booth with Bobby the Brain Heenan, Tony Schiavone, and staggeringly Marsha, who I totally forgot did stuff at the booth. Yeah, see, the... He's there. He is there. So this means that there's not have been any thunder parties? Right. Nobody was, nobody was, or they was like, look, we want to have thunder parties, but we need everybody to know that me, Marshall, needs you to throw them so we can send them out there to enjoy the line, which is very important. And I'm just like, did, did the other guys just not want to do it? <laughs> did they... You know, uh, I was thinking maybe just because of this whole Larry Legend thing that's happening, that's why he's not on the show, because he had to cut that promo that's awesome we'll get to. Uh, 
This is not an offensive threesome, though. They're not that bad. No, I'm I'm totally fine with their announcing. Yeah, they're not bad. And if, and if it brings back uh, memories of the BCW Tony Schiavone. Yes. And like the rise and the fall <sighs> of him in the esteem of the fans. Right. He still cared. He still was, you know, at that point. I felt like he still gave a crap. Um, even though this show, nobody had any freaking idea what the hell was going on, but he, I felt like he gave a crap. You couldn't, you couldn't, one of the things that was always most impressive about learning about it later is how much Heenan disliked Tony and how little you could tell that for the most part. Like Bobby was a total professional and Tony didn't really get it from what I just, I was listening to interviews with him. Uh, about it. Tony just didn't get it. Tony was just a company man uh, for the most part. Um, but, but you couldn't really tell that the guys hated each other. So I'm like, that's good. And Marshall wasn't defensive. So fine. So we start talking about that there's these <laughs> that at the end of Nitro, the finish was that I can't, I can't even remember exactly. It's so crazy. But the finish, basically, the show had to end Nitro. And even though every other Nitro in the history of the universe, they ran as long as they wanted, on this one they couldn't run long because TBS would let them or whatever. And so the fans didn't get to see how it actually ended. Suspicious about Right, right. And you had to watch this fine show, Nitro, to be able to tell what happened, or the thunder, to be able to tell what happened, which is crazy. But I laughed because I wrote down, like, it's so funny that they talk about these injunctions and stuff. And I'm like, who has given these injunctions? The NWO comes out and says, they win. Sting, nobody cares about Sting. And so it's not like Sting was like, oh, you better not show that on TV. So there was no injunctions. You just literally wanted us to watch Thunder. Fine. Well, can I just say for our, our listeners, there will be plenty more talk of injunctions <laughs> to come on this show. Don't you worry. <laughs> I think I have a note down there somewhere. Like, what? Why we're still talking about lawyers on a wrestling show? The hottest wrestling show. This is a crazy thing. You had legitimately the biggest match. They built that thing up so awesome. And because... There were so big egos, and apparently Sting wasn't in great shape, and he didn't care as much as what you hear. But you hear, and I think that's the story just to protect Hogan and Bischoff a little bit. But it's just so much politics that you couldn't just do a clean finish, and then you couldn't do another clean finish just so you could sell this show and make sure that the actual WCW lawyer gets on television, which is one of my favorite things about this. Favorite? Uh, favorite. I I made air quotes that nobody can see, but it is is truly one of my favorite things. So I've got a note here about how the show's three hours. What the hell? (laughs) My literal first note is, did not remember this was three hours. (laughs) Right. Like, what the hell? So they've got this first match. The first match is supposed to be Chris Adams versus Macho Man. That's what's supposed to start the show. But nobody knows where Macho Man is. 
So was Macho Man late? Really? Were they just trying to sell these clips and trying to sell Macho Man being late as a NWO con? Because they do mention that at some point, like, oh, maybe this is part of the NWO not being uh, together, not being on the same page. Like, what? No, he just had the opening show match, and he just asked us late. So this begins the announcer is very clearly not having a full understanding of what is going to happen on this show. <laughs> Tony's confusion is beautiful. I couldn't tell if it was legitimate confusion or if it was part of the story. Right, I couldn't either, which I guess is good. Is that a, is that a good thing that they can't tell whether <laughs> their first match, but the, the real problem with it is that the first match doesn't have didn't, that didn't have any real storyline about him not being on <laughs> So okay, so Macho Man's not on time. We don't know why he's not on time, or we're holding him back because we literally changed the way the show is going to be on the fly. So instead, we get back to the first of four Nitro flashbacks in a row. <sighs> And I grouped this one as Nitro Flashback number one, even though it's ultimately it's two Nitro Flashbacks. But the show, Nitro, it's the start of Nitro, where the NWO arrives in two different limos. <laughs> you know what that means. <laughs> now, first of all, there's 17 people in the NWO. How they could arrive in one limo is beyond me. <laughs> a party bus. <laughs> really? They did it be like a double decker. So one limo comes out, Conan and Hogan. Like, watching Conan and Hogan come out in Buddy Buddy blows my mind every time. Like, these are two guys that would never, in any circumstance, hang out ever. But he's in his, he's in his gang, his gang flannel with his NWO shirt underneath. Just patting Hogan on the back, like, hey, buddy, yo. I'm like, okay, okay. So that limo, yeah, right? So that limo is Conan, Hogan, Vincent, Nash, Buff, and Norton, from what I can tell. That's limo number one. Second limo comes out, Hall, Bischoff, Savage, uh, Hennig, Rude, and Miss Elizabeth. And that's what I can tell is limo number two. Everybody in limo number two has this frown on their face. And everybody in limo number one is like, yeah, we're happy. <laughs> it's for the storytelling. <laughs> and so, of course, the announcers are like, they're in two limos. Is there problems with the end of the Which, of course, makes them kiddish. I mean, they are trying to be... Tony, at some point in the show, acts like he's trying to be impartial a little bit. But while at the same time, they're just so happy about frowny NWO versus unfrowny NWO. <laughs> so then Eric Bischoff has an interview with Mean Gene, and he says, Shivani, you guys, we are, NWO is just as good now as we've always been. We're not having any problems. All right. Fine. It's a story. Cool, but you, you have to have that kind of story when you have 75 people in your NWO, right? So, unoffensive, great. 
you'd think that this is the point where you'd start the process of ending the NWO, and that, I'm sure, is probably what they do. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you're on a journey with that Oh boy, oh boy. God, if you haven't, if you aren't familiar with any of this history, this is really a joy. You should go back and watch Thunder Number One. I just, I sat here and basically told you don't watch it, but you really should go back and watch it because it is really a very interesting point in a company that during the boomiest period in wrestling was at the top of the heat by far. I mean, at this point, they're number one, right? Yeah, at this point, they're number one, and they're, I think they're just in the middle of their 83 weeks or whatever, or maybe mm-hmm. maybe in the 45, 50. I mean, Goldberg is just like 12 matches into his undefeated streak, something like that. Uh, he's still a guy at that point. Yeah, he's still a guy. Yeah, and so this is still quite early in their dominance, and this is what they got going on. So we go into flashback number two, where the actual lawyer, Nick Lambrose, <laughs> an interview with Tony, or an interview with Mean Gene, I'm not sure. Again, Mean Gene, who apparently doesn't have to work thunder, and it made me a little sad. I'm like, where's Mean Gene? Hmm, true. He basically reads off this thing that says, if you're in WCW and you do something bad, you can be punished. <laughs> okay. <laughs> And then he follows that up by saying, and look, if you're in the NWO, you're still part of WCW. You can also be punished. I mean, sure. (laughs) That's working for a company? Okay. Sure. And that's it. It's like the literal part of this is that the bosses of the company have said, if you do bad things, they can punish you. Now, the really funny thing about this is the story they – make these very clear separations, which we talk about later when we talk about <laughs> Eric Bischoff versus Lady Zabisco, in that there are two brands, but yet those two brands are still under one company and they can all be punished. And this is something that they should not have introduced at all. Well, not in the week. I just, sometimes I, I blink and I go, how did you screw up? The most over Bandai faction against you had such great baby faces that you had to make a legal <laughs> punishment process. And the punishment process is not in the service of the good guys. Right. As we'll see later, it only frustrates the bandits even more. <laughs> it does. It really does. But, but even still, at this time, the fans... We're so still hyped for anything. Mm-hmm. You know, like they, they, they tried really hard to screw this up a lot quicker than they did. But all, most of their characters, at least, were better than, I hate to bring them up, but like the Godwins, maybe. Maybe not the Godwins. The Godwins weren't bad. But their characters, for the most part, at least were a little bit more realistic than the goofiness that the WWF had at that time, which I think is the only thing that helped them survive. Also, 98, the business was also on an upswing, and they stopped being so goofy, but they also had their way out there stuff. Right, right. I mean, this is, that's, I mean, this is right, of course, after the 
Montreal Screwjob. And so that's where, that's where you know, the, these two things happening at the same time were, you know, it was super important where the, you know, they had the second Screwjob, air quotes, after the, the first one in, Convince was leaning into, oh, I am the best bad guy that the company should have. And so, but there's still enough here. Because the other thing about it, I, I think, I feel like more than the WWF is that WCW had the better workers in general, top to bottom. They could have the better matches. True. You know, especially it's like in the mid-card. I just interject since you didn't mention the Montreal Screwjob, which I attended in person. You were there. That's right. You were at the Screwjob. I was at least the very last one over the arena, but I was there. Wow. And at, on that night, I didn't know what was going on because I couldn't actually see Greenside exactly what was happening. Wow. You could tell that Bret Hart was selling something. He couldn't tell what Right. But anyway, all that to say is that at this point, for me in my fandom, I was pretty much about to swear off WWF because they had ruined my hero. Right, 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 right. right. Wow. I was by a thread. WWF employees themselves were like, what is this? Like, what are you doing? People were trying to almost boycott Raw. It was a crazy time. Right. So how did when did you find out what actually happened? So leaving the arena, I ran into my friend who had better seats than I did, and he told me what Bret Hart did. I was like, "Oh, okay, that's that's something." Still at the VCW at the end of a pay per view, right? Right. But you couldn't tell people there couldn't tell that that wasn't the way the finish should be, right? Well, so everyone in my section was like, "Oh, they had Bret lose the sharpshooter." That's Ironic, I guess. Oh, yeah, I mean, that's savage. <laughs> yeah, we were not, you weren't outraged or angry, you were just more confused. Sure, sure. Yeah, that's that's absolutely fair. That's amazing. Uh, that's amazing. Wow. The only, the most important thing that I didn't go to is that Goldberg made his debut in Salt Lake City on September 22nd, 97. Hmm? I had to work, and so my little brother, who at the time was maybe eight or nine, got to go in my place. But buddies of mine bought a ticket. I was so mad after the fact not getting to go. Oh, that one made me sad. Oh, the Montreal Screwjob! What an what an absolute! I I don't know if there's anything bigger in an actual wrestling show than the Montreal Screwjob in modern history. As a well, it depends because you have like tragedies happen. So well, yeah, bigger, but right. I mean, if you, yeah, you have to like frame the question. Yeah, like, removing like Owen Owen's passing. Yeah, but as far as like things that happen business wise, mm. that was I can't think of anything that was that made a bigger difference, and I don't know at this point if there's anything that will. I, the one thing that I think of that I thought was huge was Lex Luger showing up on uh, Raw and Nitro. That was a big deal. 
Oh, uh, that was a Rick Rude. Rick Rude did it too. Oh, that's right. Yeah. He did it on the same day. Lex did it what, like a day after or something. Yeah, Lex showed up yeah. on the first white show, yeah. That's right, that's right, that's right. Yeah, no, Rude showed up on those are, those are big deals. But I didn't, I didn't realize there was still so much protection of kayfabe that I didn't understand what was happening. Well, really, any of those times, I didn't understand what was happening. But, but yeah, screw job. It's big, big deal. So, so let's see. We're not getting to, we're not going to get to Brent yet, but we're going to get to Brent. <laughs> so we had the lawyer stuff. So that was Nitro flashback number two. So then we get to Nitro flashback number three. Oh, we haven't even started Thunder yet. We haven't. We have literally <laughs> not begun Thunder yet. This is going to be like, look, there's people sitting at their house. There's people that are in the car. They're working. People are going to enjoy the fact that this is going to take us three hours to get to this three-hour show. <laughs> so then we get to Nitro Flashback number three, which is just Nick Patrick being suspended for his... Not fast count, and maybe I guess what happened in the uh i don't I don't think he did really any other heel things besides the count that was supposed to be a bad count that didn't end up be oh he did show up at, at the uh in the nitro show after uh what was it Randy Anderson got knocked down uh during the false finish garbage from the rematch, and so I guess he did that, so I guess he was worth getting punished but the thing that cracked me up is that. When J.J. Dillon is punishing him, he's like, you're suspended until we can look at the fun footage on Thunder. <laughs> like, what? I, I can't. I can't. J.J., I can't. Yeah, it's crazy. But uh, the one thing I really noted, it was a very important thing for me to know, is Patrick's hair was amazing. It was like a jerry-curled mullet. It was awesome. He lived the game. He lived it. Oh, he was great. All right. So then we get to Nitro flashback number four. We're almost to the first match, guys. We're almost there. So then we had – now, at this point, I was already sick of these flashbacks. But they had some – here's some more problems with the NWO clip. So So Savage and Luger had a match where Luger wins on an inside cradle, which what? <laughs> I mean, sure, why not? Um, I was almost trying to do the research and try to find out how many times in his entire career, I mean, even when he was just green, how many times we were won a match on an inside cradle? It had to be like three times total. So Randy Savage, who was by far the best overall character in the NWO, because he was literally insane, and you never knew what he was going to do, and he was must-watch every time he was on TV because he was going to do something absolutely insane. He attacks, he basically attacks Luger afterwards. But, <laughs> while this is happening, the announcers, which is, again, on my list of favorite things, one of my favorite things, they are acting like Lex winning this meaningless match made this huge difference. Say meaningless, but perhaps this turned the tide in the favor of WCW. Oh, wait, you know what? I'm sorry. Because I don't know what happened in the future, you're right. This may not have been meaningless. This could have been the match that turned the tide. But the problem is, they have something like eight hours of matches every week, and all of these can't be important. 
that it was you, but I don't know. Fair enough, fair enough. So, <laughs> Savage, after beating the crap out of Luger and attacking him, he kidnaps David Pinzer for a second with his chair. <laughs> and I don't know what he's doing with him, but Bobby Heenan says, I think I'd rather have the chair. It is one of the funniest <laughs> things. Bobby Heenan was so freaking funny all the time. He was the best. Oh, yeah. So somehow, Randy Savage hits Eric Bischoff with a chair. I don't, I didn't really see what happened, and I was never going to bother rewinding. He kind of, I think Bischoff tried to pull the chair away and okay. then much, and then kind of pull into his own face. Gotcha, gotcha, okay. It, that's one of those things that happens so much in wrestling, and it literally would take somebody five seconds to go, wait, we should look and see what happens. Oh, that was probably an accident, but no way. <laughs> so then Hogan comes out, or Hogan's out behind Bischoff because they're tethered by the ankle or something. And so Hogan shoves Savage like, hey, man, what are you doing? We've got to be bros. I typed Savage's name so many times. Looking at it now, it doesn't look right. It looks like a wrong word. I have it so many times on this sheet of paper. So then, in the oddest thing about this whole thing, Nash comes out, and Nash just hits Savage in the back of the head. Is it because Nash is protecting Bischoff? Yeah, that or he's taking a free shot. It's just, he's just taking a free That's the most Nash thing of all these things, is that he's taking a free shot. So I'm gonna, I will allow that. The other thing I found funny about this is that because of the location, and I guess maybe because of the fans, they had so much security there at ringside. So much. And they were just yelling at people and pushing them back. And I was like, they're, they know that the NWO literally can actually get the fans to riot, which is, I guess, awesome, but whoa. And so you say riot because the Thunder announced team will hype up the footage. And I didn't remember that. So as I was going down through it, I'm just like, wait, what happened? A near riot. But in my brain, I'm thinking, is it just that like six WCW guys came out and then some NWO games guys came out and they fought for 30 seconds? Like, what are they talking about? Okay. Or maybe we won't. Fans were out of time. No, I'm just kidding. Okay, this is the moment you've been waiting for. The first match of the first Thunder, Gentleman Chris Adams. I don't even think they were calling him Gentleman Chris Adams at the time. I think he was just Chris Adams, which is a totally not important point. But at this point, I'd already watched 75 hours of this one show, so it's important to know. Versus the Macho Man Randy Savage with Miss Elizabeth, who looked amazing. Gorgeous. I mean, wow, she looked wow. amazing. Yeah. Holy crap. The lasers, I made a note of the lasers here because the lasers were incredible. It's so 90s. Can you mention that Chris Adams gets pyro? Chris Adams got pyro. I have that as a question mark, actually. He either gets pyro or it's pyro to signify that it's the first match ever. I think I don't think he got pyro. I think he got, hey fans, look, we're finally having a match. You guys have been sitting in this arena for 20 minutes. We're about to actually have a goddamn match. 
Here's the pyro. Wake up, everybody. <laughs> Wake up, everybody. We're about to start with Chris Adams. Here's the pyro. <laughs> Look, if you guys were already bolted to your seats because you had a lawyer flashback from Nitro, you get ready because here comes Chris Adams. The, I, I obviously you can't call him the inventor, but the, uh, popular, the guy who popularized the superkick, Chris Adams. Which is the reason why this, uh, Podcast exists. Let's Thank be honest. <laughs> Thank you, Chris Adams. Uh, you might have to. You might have to go in the Hall of Fame just for that. Now I got to think about it. I had until now. Now I got to think about it. Uh, so, Chris Adams' jacket was a note. It was awesome. That thing was amazing. Mm-hmm. It was like Britishy. Is he British? I guess he is. Because he had British on his side. Yeah, he had British on his side. Was I don't even remember if the. I was going to say the full-blooded Britishians, but that's not their group. Not at all. What the heck was that faction called? The Blue Blood. Thank you. Um, I had blood. The blood is in there. I was close. <laughs> the Blue Bloods, I don't even know if they were still a thing at this point or not. Uh, but he, I think he was in it. Oh, was he never even well, never mind. I don't think so. Maybe that's why he was allowed to wear the jackets, because it didn't happen anymore, and he... You know, that was being it. Lee Marshall starts talking about a comic strip called Pogo, which I think even at that time was like 10 years old. It's the most obscure thing I think he might have said on the show, and he tried to beat that, but it was obscure. I don't even remember. I think he, I don't even remember what he said. It was so inane, but I was just like, that's what Lee Marshall's here for? For some old school pop culture. Okay, let's go. Found his niche. Yeah, he did. He did. The other thing I noted about Adams is after he took his jacket off, he was literally in a creator wrestler outfit. Like he, he says, like here's how we put the Union Jack on your butt, and you have a couple colors Ooh. and some knee pads. You are in the the purest creator wrestler outfit you could be in. I remember him from before having like the Ultimate Warrior arm dangly, you know, like muscle arm. Uh, at some point, I remember at some time he had that, or maybe he had oh. no. I think he had the shoe dangly. That's what it was, and that's what it kind of enunciated his super kick. Is he had like the shoe dangly? But I don't think he had that. He was literally as plain as he could be, plus the Union Jack uh, thing, whatever that's called. I guess it's not the Union Jack because that's the whole thing. Anyway, I'm not British. I'm from Utah. Leave me alone. Um, so the first move on the first thunder is a botched lariat. <laughs> and I believe, if I'm wrong, that Macho was not pleased. Macho did not look pleased. He looked very frustrated by that. And he goes for the pin, which cracked me up. <laughs> Because I'm like, what are you? I think I was like, did he go for the pin just so he could say, "I'm going to murder you"? He wasn't particularly stiff after that, but I was like, that's amazing. Like, Macho, I was like, look, Macho, you are late, so calm down. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> he's mad at himself for being late. Yeah, maybe, maybe he's like, this screwed it up. 
because I, apparently I was just so I just had to keep track of all of the outfits. Macho's Madness weight belt was awesome. That weight belt was slick as heck. Was it a regular Madness weight belt or different? I I don't ever remember. Most of the time when I see the Madness, I think of it as part of his pants, and I I just been so long since I've watched this. It may be his regular one, but let's just pretend that I wanted to see the best wrestling for the first time, so I decided to watch First Thunder. And this is my this is my introduction, <laughs> and even though in the eight flashbacks I don't remember it, <laughs> we just saw him to start the show. We just saw him for forty five minutes, but I don't remember. But I noted it then. It was great. So the match goes. Macho goes for these early pins, and then he pulls him up, which just made me laugh. Because I'm like, why did you even go for the early pin? What is the point of that? That's a, that's a, a very underrated wrestling troll. Oh, man. It, I mean, it's cool looking. It's what they call it a heelish thing to do. It is a very heelish thing to do. It's like, hey, I'm, I'm doing this as a contest. Nope, I'm going to beat you up. But I'm just like... Like, I like the early pin, but he was like, he was literally like three moves in, and he went for the early pin, head pull up. It just cracked me up. You can't do that against Chris Adams. No, you look, you don't want to play around with Chris Adams, as we're about to find out. Uh, the other thing I noticed for no reason is in the background there was a just skydive sign. I noted that too. <laughs> I only remember it in this first match. I think the signs will be a very uh, special part of our show. It, it is special. I just like, I'm not going to keep track of these signs too much. And also, I didn't keep track of the WCW shirt people, but I noted them a few times. Because oh. they were special. So there were three people. Yeah. Each wearing uh, one letter of the WCW. It's <laughs> just white shirts. <laughs> yep. The reason was two two ladies on the W. Yes. Yes. The two ladies were the W, and the guy was the C in the middle. Oh, I'm sure. Good, good for him. <laughs> that's that's the PG way to say it. Yes. Yes. Good for him. So so the match is happening. They end up fighting to the outside, and Chris Adams reverses. Uh, I don't remember if he reversed it or if he just did it. He throws Savage into the corner post. And Savage sells this on his arm like he had just gone 25 minutes with the Ronda Rousey arm bar. But he had to do that because I guess Lex didn't hit his cue. And so he was just waiting. They are all waiting for Lex to show up for a long time. I thought that then, that when Chris Adam hits you or shoves you, it's as if you were. Thing with Ronda. <laughs> well, I took out of it. <laughs> I mean, good point. Chris Adams is look. It was the, I think the only time Chris Adams did a uh, uh, Irish whip, and so yes, he could just have overpowered Irish whips. That could just be the case. That's fair. But he couldn't. He was he was so hurt from the two moves he took outside that he couldn't follow up on it either. <laughs> His style is intense. <laughs> yes, intense Irish whip action from <laughs> gentlemanly Chris Adams. Welcome to Thunder, everyone. <laughs> so he, so Lex runs out and he hits 
Savage. Chris Adams gets back in the ring. Chris, the ref is checking on Chris Adams. Lex comes out, hits Savage with the chair, rolls him back in. Chris Adams makes the pin, gets the three count. He wins legitimately with zero actual wrestling moves. Gentleman Chris Adams wins his very first match on WCW Thunder, and the crowd goes wild. <laughs> the crowd, which was not an overly crazy WCW crowd, like we've seen, we saw some WCW crowds in the past. It's like Ciclope wins off of a Hurricane Rana, and they go nuts. Like this wasn't that crowd, but they were still pretty stoked. When Lex comes out and that match happens, they're like, okay, we, we're down with this. He got some pyro. He won the match. Way to go. Yeah. Note here is big things ahead for Chris. <laughs> you know what? That's that's something we need to keep track of. That's something over time <laughs> we need to see Chris Adams' career just skyrocket after beating the Macho Man Randy Savage. I mean, let's let's take a second to appreciate this. Macho Man Randy Savage was a legend, <laughs> multiple-time world champion, <laughs> one of the biggest stars in the hottest factions in professional wrestling history, and the gentleman Chris Adams gets the W <laughs> on the on the first ever match of the Big Show Thunder. That's how you kick off the TBS era. <laughs> That's an important thing to note, that how we kicked off the TBS era was shows that weren't this show, and then ended had a run-in finish pin by Chris Adams. Awesome. Huh. Okay, so I'm not going to harp on this too much, because I really want everybody to enjoy this, but this is just a point where, again, we need to just mention that Liz looked awesome. She was, at, she was at the height of her power. Because at this point, she started getting a little bit of personality. And if you guys don't know, at this time, she and she and Randy Savage weren't together. <clears throat> Excuse me. That's an actual couple. But when Randy got the job at WCW, he asked them to bring Liz in because he just wanted to make sure she was taken care of. And so she was starting to blossom because... She and he had an interesting relationship before, and so you're starting to get just that whole that whole persona of hers. It's starting to it's starting to roll. She's starting to get rolling. That Liz, so good for her. R.I.P. Involved. Yes, R.I.P. Yeah. Is Chris Adams still alive? Not he's still alive. I'm not sure. I'm not going to look. I don't want to know. I don't want to know if everybody oh. in this match has passed away. Because yeah. because we'll be hitting some that are. Yeah, it's gonna get it, it's gonna get sad. So okay, so let's get on that. Yeah. So the announced team is like, hey, we're gonna go to commercial. Except here's JJ Dillon, who is the is a great wrestling figure, one of my very favorites. He should not have been on the mic so much in this set of shows. It's so bad. It's so sad. That they they were like we need an authority figure, but we're going to have one that's milk toastiest guy from a guy who is the one of the most devious people in wrestling history. Yeah. It just blew my mind that that's how they use the most devious per you know one of the most devious minds in wrestling history like this. It's but so yet, out of character. 
Yeah, but yet they will bring out an actual lawyer <laughs> to do the lawyer part. <laughs> you can even have a fake lawyer? <laughs> I know, it's crazy. I, I'm sorry. Uh, so J.J. Dillon's out right away. They're like, oh, something's happening. Um, we don't know what's happening. We're going to go to commercial. So we go to commercial and we come back. And now comes the first of three times I think we see Hogan and Bischoff that's not flashbacks. So Hogan and Bischoff come out and they have this entrance that takes them. Like I'm just like, you guys, you guys decided to make this show three hours. Why are you wasting so much time on the show? That's not the answer. I believe you've answered the question. <laughs> Good point. And my first note though is the NWO shirt has to be one of the best pieces of gear in wrestling history. Like, one of the most over, unbelievable, total pieces of gear that there's ever been as far as fan purchase, right? It is a brilliant shirt. Brilliant. It doesn't scream wrestling at you. No. Huh. No, it's not, it's not campy. It's not, it's got a cool design, and it feels cutting edge and hip, and I was just like, you know what? They really crushed it on that. They crushed it. So, a little side note from my wrestling fandom. Yes. Since WCW within Canada was not uh, a thing, mm -hmm. we would get the Nitro on Wednesday afternoons oh. because of reasons. Okay. Well, the reason was that we had one major sports network and it aired Raw Live, so I couldn't hear Nitro Live. Ah. So all that to say that I couldn't just order an NWO shirt because of a crazy shipping fees. And you have to pay the, you have to pay the, the, uh, that, you have to pay the, the taxes of when it comes over to the... Yeah, whatever. Yeah, the duties. Uh, uh, yeah, duties. Yeah, the question. So I couldn't get an NWO shirt. Until one day, at some sort of flea market, I find one. But it's a bootleg NWO shirt. Oh, no. The logo, I mean, it's it's the logo, but the logo is crooked at an angle. And there's weird writing on the back, like a WWE shirt today would have. Oh, right. Yes. <laughs> yes. And I don't remember exactly, but it was something bad like, Bad is here, and it's here to stay. Something <laughs> like that. And I'm like, this is awful, but I want the logo, so I buy it. That's fair. Sometimes you got to do what you got to do. You bite the bullet. Yeah. Now you can get a great NWO shirt, right? I have one Wolfpack and one Hollywood. Ah, uh, nice, nice. Now I only own one wrestling shirt. And it's not because I didn't wear them. But it's because I was fat and they were expensive and they didn't fit right. But and the one and the one shirt I have, I didn't purchase and it doesn't fit me. <laughs> and it's a, you're right. It's a Mr. Kennedy shirt that says something like, "If you don't believe pro wrestling is real, go screw yourself" or something. From a TNA. Yes, it was a free shirt I got in high spots from when I bought an actual mask that I did buy on purpose because I do own two. Mask. I own a Viano uh, 5 mask, or Viano 4 or 5, which is one of my prized possessions. And I own a Blue Demon mask. Blue Demon? Not Blue Demon. 
a Huracan mask, which my parents got for me from Mexico, which I also love. Oh. I always loved the NWO shirts. I thought the NWO shirts were awesome, and I would have had one, but it just never worked out. And now I just feel like, well, can I buy one? I, always, I wanted to get one, and I always wanted to get a Bullet Club shirt because it was that same vibe. Yeah, yeah. I wanted those, too. But I will say the Bullet Club shirt was of low quality. No, that's too bad. It's, it's already, like, ripped, and I didn't wear it. Uh, so it's like, oh. That's unfortunate. That's a bummer, yeah. Now, what I decided to put my money into for pro wrestling is I own two Japan mask mooks, which are just books that show you all the mask wrestlers and give you a little Japanese blurb about them that I can't read. Oh. Yeah, and I own, like, three Nippon sports mooks, which is just, they just show you every wrestler and every promotion for the year. It's just a picture of them and a chunk of information on them, and they're some of my favorite things. So I decided to get... Books I can't read instead of shirts I can't wear for whatever reason. Are they on your coffee table? They would be if my coffee table wasn't used for uh, delivery bags, of food, food delivery bags and PlayStation controller. But that's where they would go. Oh. <laughs> I have lots of wrestling books. I have... I always like I always like books, even though I hate I hate books because I hate moving them. But I always enjoyed those just little hand things like that. They were always fun to me. All right, so that's we got off we got off topic because the NWO shirt is awesome, but that's what we were talking. The NWO shirt is a great shirt. My other hot take that came up when this okay, I say hot take. My other take when it came up is that wrestling fan signs are the worst. Could you imagine sitting in that arena in the first like twelve rows when it's just seventy five people with signs up? Mm. It would make me absolutely crazy. What if one of them had a the guy behind me can't see signs. That would make me laugh as long as it went away. <laughs> when we went, I went to uh, my buddy and I in Nashville. I've been to a Ring of Honor pay-per-view in Nashville, and I went to an AEW show in Nashville. Uh, AEW, uh, actual live Nitro, Nitro, AEW, whatever their show is, Dynamite. <laughs> I'm like, it sounds like Nitro, Dynamite. AEW <laughs> uh, Lightning or something. Yeah, yeah, AEW <laughs> Explosion, basically the same thing. And there's one guy that had a sign that was basically asking people to play Smash Brothers with him or something. Okay. It was on a normal piece of paper, but it was just big enough that it cut off the ring when he held it up. But he would hold it up when he thought the camera was on and put it down, so I didn't have to murder him, but I wanted to murder him. <laughs> so, Bischoff and Hogan, that's what we're talking about. They're coming to the ring, and this, this conversation took about as long as it took for them to get to the ring. The well, other the traditional Hogan, Bischoff, Hogan. Oh, they close, and then he points at him, and then they point at the other guy, and then I love this guy, and he kisses him in the head and all this stuff. The other thing that I noted here is how many shirts do you think over his entire career Hulk Hogan ripped? Tore. I mean, it's it's probably in the at least five or six hundred range, right? Six hundred. I, I, I guess, yeah. I mean, that just seems so big. But yeah, you're, you're, you probably did it on every house show. Oh. Oh wow! Wow. And, I mean, don't forget even three come up for media appearances. Oh, you're right. Every 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 time he did signings and every time he went to 
make a wish or whatever. Gosh, thousands is right. Wow. The other thing that I noted here, because again, it's just about watching these guys, is Hogan had like five crosses on. Mm-hmm. He had a he had a black cross. Yeah. I wonder what that symbolizes. I do too. I thought about that too, and I was like, ah, I don't want to look. These are there's a lot of things that came up here. Just like, there's some stuff I don't want to actually know about. I'm just going to laugh about it now. So, so Hogan is talking, and Hogan, because Hogan obviously made this all happen, he's the only honest guy in this whole thing about how the the count was a normal speed count at Starcade because it was. <laughs> yes, Hogan is right about everything. <laughs> he's absolutely right about everything because he orchestrated this whole thing, and it makes everybody even look sillier. <laughs> So Hogan's like, I won the title. So this whole promo is, I won the title. I'm awesome. It's it's literally them talking for four minutes, saying nothing. And I'm watching this, and I'm thinking, I don't understand who actually didn't want the finish shown. Who didn't? <laughs> I don't know who. All the people that are out here arguing, the only people that shouldn't want the finish shown is WCW. The people that are launching an entire show brand to show the finish is Starcade. <laughs> so sad. The other important note I have here about this is that they have a they have a promo for Saturday, uh, WCW Saturday Night, and they mention it's been at the same time slot for 25 years. On TBS. And I'm like, really? Is that true? I have no idea, but I'll buy it. I, you know what? I just, I'm like, you know what? WCW, you want to lie to me? I'll take it. I would love to sit and watch Saturday Night because Saturday Night was awesome, the little bit I ever got to watch. But years? I just think of, if we, if we ever got Saturday Night up here, I'm not sure. I, I didn't get, I think when I was a kid, during the time that was happening, I lived on a small military base, and we had decent cable, but not great cable. Mm-hmm. I don't even think we had TBS for a while. So I don't. I just didn't ever get a chance to watch it. And that was still pre the internet being able to just make that stuff happen so quickly. Oh yeah, you could imagine trying to watch Thunder on the internet. Yeah, no way. For three hours. <laughs> no way. And and that was one of the reasons. I think Nitro would have had a much harder time. I watched, not only did I watch Nitro, I would go to my buddy's house and watch Nitro, and then I would go home and watch the replay, because they replayed Nitro right after it. Oh, wow. So I would watch the same show for six flipping hours. <laughs> Even though most of the time when they immediately replayed it, it was before it was the full three hours. So I think the other replay would be later in the week. But I'd watch both. I would just watch it again, like, well, what else am I going to do? So, yeah, that was the Hogan Bischoff promo. So okay, now, yeah. Well, wait, sorry to interrupt, but. No, please. You had mentioned that JJ Dillon had come out before the prior commercial break. Yes. And it was the most awkward thing because he just sort of comes out and the camera's kind of on him, but like <laughs> flying away to do the crowd <laughs> shot. It's like, there's a JJ, but. And when you come back, J.J. is nowhere to be found. <laughs> That's the best part. 
is that they do that, and that's it's good that you mentioned that. They do that, and they have the camera there. And again, the announcers don't even understand why he's there. Yeah. The the people actually trying to cut everything. Now, of course, Kevin Dunn, he would have had everybody in every shot at every moment. <laughs> but they don't understand he's there. The cameraman knows that obviously I need to be watching this, but I don't know why. <laughs> I assume this is for television. <laughs> He's like, I guess this is important now. And so I guess we're going to sit on this, but we don't have anything to say about it. We don't have any reason to stay on it right now. <laughs> so that's great, because that's a great segue into the next segment, which is Mike Tanay, Iron Mike Tanay, um, Mr. Uh, everyone that's not American wrestler knowledge guy. The professor. The professor, who I loved as a kid because he he talked about the stuff that I cared the most about on these shows, which was lucha wrestlers and Japanese wrestlers. I just thought they were so cool. I thought they were just the best. And they were. But they were. They were the best. So he comes out, and he's got J.J. Dillon there, and everybody's like, okay, let's hear from J.J. Dillon. So J.J. Dillon says... Because Lex came out here, did what he did, we're starting a new era, era where everybody has to be accountable. Right. Well, I did. I did have it right. No, it's a good point. Obviously, my brain was trying to correct my mouth. Where everybody is held to a different standard. We have to reverse the decision. Savage wins. So, gentleman Chris Adams literally doesn't even get to enjoy the first win, and, he, and he's not even met. He's he's forgotten already. <laughs> Do you think he had time to shower and go to the club to celebrate the win? <laughs> you know what? I would be surprised if they had at that point had working shower facilities there. They were so out of sorts. Oh, he may not even have had a locker room. He might have been in his car. Is he at a bar in his tights buying rounds for everyone? <laughs> He's in that jacket. Everybody's like, that jacket's so cool. He's like, I won the first match in Thunder History. Somebody calls him when he gets home because there's not a cell phone for him to call. And be like, look, I hate to tell you this, Chris, but you are now, you're now 0-1 on Thunder. <laughs> you are now a loser. <laughs> now, the, so far, the only loser in Thunder yeah. History. <laughs> Congratulations. Chris, that's the match yet. It's gone. You know how you're maybe going to get to fight for the TV title? Sorry, buddy. It's out. Pack your bag. You're going, you're going to face the, ma- the maestro on uh, Thunder next week. We're so sad for him. <laughs> so let's do again. This is a show of characters saying actual things that make sense when it's not right for the story. Lex says, look, the NWO have been able to do what they want the entire time they've been here. And now, this moment, after what he did last week and everything that's happening, is now when you're going to start holding everybody accountable. Like, yeah, that's a good point. Sure. And so then he's like, look, I've talked to everybody in the back. We're mad as hell, and we're not going to take it anymore. And again, 
Yeah, sure. Great. Love it. So poor J.J. Dillon has to stand there and be like, well, you know, it's just my job now. (laughs) It's the saddest thing. That's what they're using J.J. Dillon for. Having nothing to say. Nothing to say. Oh, God. The rules are the rules for tonight, I suppose. And and we're gonna get to, we're gonna get to this as we go, but they're not even really the full rules for tonight. They're so pick and shows that it's crazy. Very depressing. <laughs> so we get to fortunately we get to get to our second match of the night, which is. Louis Spicoli, I never say his name right, but I think that's right, Spicoli, whose shirt is the greatest shirt that, uh, air quotes, jobber may have ever had, besides the the guy who slaps himself in the back. Um, Horowitz. Barry Horowitz. That was the greatest jobber shirt, but this was pretty close. This shirt's a black shirt that says, the real innovator on the front of the Death Valley driver on the back. Which I guess is it not at Saturn? Is it? Because I have not watched Nitro. I'm coming to under hold. As you should, so because I, this is the best show on television. True. <laughs> I don't understand the point of that shirt, why he's wearing it, why he's allowed to have a shirt. Right, right. And I believe that he is actually the real innovator of the Death Valley driver. Fine, but what? I believe so because ECW did name it after him when he passed. Mm-hmm. So there's got to be something to it. Yeah, everybody calls him a stability driver now, so RIP. RIP, but why? <laughs> I thought the same thing. <laughs> the other great thing about this match is that Tony at the beginning very breathlessly says, so much going on in the first episode of Thunder. <laughs> And I'm like, what? <laughs> what? <sighs> so this match was perfectly fun. Oh, I guess I should rate the uh, Savage Chris Adams match. It was a zero star match. Well, are we doing ratings for lighting and I I wasn't planning on it, but now that I'm, I was gonna, I wanted to mention how how I felt about the match. And oh. so it's not a. It's, this is not going to be scientific. Somebody could go back later if we're really lucky and successful and kill me on this. Mm. But and you know how I am with numeric rating systems. But I think five star is a good rating system. So I'm just going to say that match couldn't even count as a match. I'm just going to say zero star. So this mm. match, but. Now, is that before or after the overturn finish? This includes the overturn finish. Because prior to it, just the story of the gentleman, Chris Adams, overcoming adversity, um, you know, with his clear motivations and moveset. Fire Pro moveset. (laughs) Yes, you're right. Before the overturn, it was three stars because Chris Adams got the first win in Nitro history or Thunder history 
But after the pyro. Oh, and especially the pyro and the lawyers and yeah. Liz. All of that. And Liz, yeah. <laughs> all of that makes it a three star. But after you overturn it, then it's got to go to dud category. It's just got to. Yeah. We'll, we'll fight that. <laughs> so this match is not. This match is also telling a story. It's mostly, I guess, my understanding is Martell had just come back on Nitro. Like Nitro was like his first match back or second match back, something like that. This is the second match for Mr. Rick Martell, only yeah. the model. The model. Yep. Who I always thought was perfectly cromulent. I thought he was a good wrestler and a good character. I liked him in general. And he's from Quebec, so naturally was a big Martell fan. Oh, sure, sure. And but he was he was a good baby face. He was a good he was a good hand all the way oh, I shouldn't say that. Somebody's gonna hit me with a chair. That's an insult. <laughs> he was a he was a good wrestler. I like him as a wrestler in general. This match was funny because there's some moves happening and Spicoli takes the powder after three moves. He gets three moves in on him and he's like, Screw this, I'm out <laughs> he goes to leave. <laughs> Debatable if you're going to leave on such a national spotlight, but. <laughs> but the thing that made me laugh is I think that they closed the doors on the set after they <laughs> leave. <laughs> so I'm like, you can't even leave. <laughs> so they take. This happens a couple of times. This is really the only time I think I'm going to mention it. It happens another time I might. So the flock shows up, which is Raven's crew with Saturn and Kidman. I think Lodi, they probably had Hammer at this point, and Sick Boy, and Raven. So they come from the group. Tony actually calls Raven the nest and not the flock. That's right, that's right. Raven's nest, yes. But the actual main is the flock, but Tony called it the ECW nest. That's right, that's right, yes. Because this is only the, this is like the, how many times have they been together at this point? I don't remember. I don't know. I think that they're still yeah, pretty I new. I think they're still pretty new. And so, in w- pure WCW fashion, they probably have no idea what they're going to call them. <laughs> but other than that, there's no, you know, the camera shows them. A couple other times the camera shows them. Fine. But, but there's no story based on except introducing them. Okay. Uh, the match is going. Really, the only other notable thing in the match besides the finish was Martel has a missed drop kick. Because uh, Spicoli grabs the ropes, and it's so ugly. <laughs> Just like if he was trying to hit a drop kick, that would have been the worst hit drop <laughs> maybe ever. It was bad. <laughs> right after that, I know, I know. But you, know, who? Uh, I don't know. You know, it's there's it, the stakes are high, and so it's just probably amped up. <laughs> so Martel pulls out the Quebec crab, yes, which is a uh, Boston crab. The announcers take the time to mention how much it's like the lion tamer. They do, that was so strange. Why would you do that? That's what I was thinking. Like, what? First off, no. One of those guys should not be using that. And it probably should be Martel since he's the new guy. But if you're going to do it, don't point it out. (laughs) 
Bobby Heaton tries to say this by saying that Jericho uh, sits a little higher with the brick, but it's under Tony Seriously, that's so right. Like, Bobby is so quick, he's trying to make something out of this thing. But he does not. And <laughs> he does like, oh, it's the same thing, whatever. And and so Bobby tries to save it. And so Tony's like, oh, no, you're right. And, of course, Lee Marshall is nowhere to be found in any of this which is probably smart for him, quite honestly. So this match was, you know, it was it was a good match to showcase Martel still. Just is in the middle. In the middle match, it was fine. Rick Martel was undefeated. That's right. That's right. And they, and they mention that, I believe, which makes me laugh because of what comes up later. But they go out of the way and be like, hey, I think Martel is undefeated in his two matches or whatever. Like, oh, okay, great. I mean, mm. Does mean big things for Rick Martel? <laughs> let's, let's keep that in our Chris Adams asterisk pile. <laughs> Think of Chris Adams' uh, TV title match next week. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) All right, so that's all the fun we get to have, because now we get to go back to to Starcade. Oh. This is the the match between the Giants. Supposed to be Hall, or it's supposed to be Nash versus the Giant. Uh, Also known as the Big Show, for those of you that watch his Netflix show. Can't believe it's another show. Yeah, that's good. that's good. Keep up the plug. But <laughs> so Hall comes out and says, "Nash isn't going to be there tonight." The backstage story on all this is that Nash says he's having actual heart problems at Starcade. People think that he just didn't want to do Starcade around Christmas. Which is tough because that's when Starcade is. You're right. That's kind of a problem. So maybe you should talk to him. Bishop says he actually called the hospital and he got this information. He was scared for him. So maybe it was real, but you never know with Nash. And really, you never know with Bishop either, I guess. So the Giant comes out, and I noted that the Giant was in pretty great shape at the time. True. And Hall basically is like, you know what? The, the, the real giant isn't here. And then Hall just stands there and does sturdy fingers and poses <laughs> while the giant says, I'm going to beat up, I'm going to beat up Nash. I'm the best giant in the world. I have a hand and I'm going to put it in the air so that you know I'm serious about it. And then Hall just attacks the giant, which doesn't do anything. And it's still slammed. He gets jackknife powerbombed for his trouble. Another note from the Giants is that he said, I'll be here in professional wrestling for a long time. That's <laughs> <laughs> <I'm laughs> Unlike anywhere else, like, I'll be here building, <laughs> building castles for a long time. <laughs> so the note, other note I had about this is that Throughout this whole episode, I'll mention it a few times because it's worth mentioning, Scott Hall sold for everybody. Scott Hall never was afraid to look like a doofus if it got the story over, and I really appreciated that. 
You've got that, and nobody does the scaredy fingers better. No, nobody does the scaredy fingers better. He also was probably, until he just dipped off, he was the most willing to fight Savage, I think, the most willing to work. He was just the most willing to go out there and have a match or get beat up or whatever. Like, he was going to work to get this stuff over because he understood that they were already over. Like, they didn't need to protect themselves, you know? Only more of them you have. Yeah. Yeah. So we get to what I'm going to call the Nitro Showcase match. I mean, the Nitro, the Thunder Showcase match. Yeah, because, because this is not a Nitro match. Right. It's not a recap. It's not a flashback. This is yes. live Thunder action. Live Thunder action is not tied to anything else that's happening really anywhere else or any <laughs> other show. It's its own actual unique thing. It feels like it fell in from outer space. It really does. And look, I, as a as a person, appreciate it. And the fans didn't seem to hate it. They didn't seem to love it. They didn't hate it. Which I'm like, okay. If it, in a long show like this, you kind of need a match that people don't have to absolutely love. And it's just a match. Yeah. You've got just wrestlers out there showing their stuff. Apparently, you know, from everything I've read, like the U.S. excursions and the time they did this were really great for wrestlers' growth. And so I appreciate... WCW's very racist, but still hard-working time to get the Japanese wrestlers over. And then they have a storyline, which I have no idea about. Right. The announcers actually explain. Yeah, well, because they brought in Mike Tanay, thank God. Mm. Because if it was Lee Marshall, who knows what the hell would happen. <laughs> so we get Mike Tanay called from the bullpen for this Tenzan versus O'Hara match. Now, Tenzan is awesome. He is like a Hall of Fame, all-time great Japanese wrestler. He's on the legend. He's an absolute legend. He's fantastic. And he looks he looks great. His moves are great. He, he just gets, has the right feel for it. Now, O'Hara is one of the guys I enjoy because he has been – he has, in his career, been a goofy masked wrestler in all these different Japanese factions. He was like Team 2000 mask once. He was Makai Club number three. He always had these really... Three. Yeah, yeah. He always had these really garbage, like... Not gar- I mean, in Japan, faction wrestling was so important that, that he was important there, but that's what he always had. Now, I hate the fact that he came out like Hakushi. And I suspect that it was almost a direct Hakushi ripoff, which I'm like, wow. But even that has an explanation. Well, that's true. I mean, that is true. Even that had an explanation. I noted the freedom dog part because they spray-painted dog on him, the NWO Japan spray-painted dog on his back, and so he kind of leaned into it. And Tenzan represents NWO Japan. Yes, and Tenzan is NWO Japan. He's, he was, I guess, they, they would say he was like the second guy that joined NWO Japan after Chono. Masahiro Chono, who's also an all-time legend, and they were great. And they were a great tag team. He Tenzan was one of the best tag team wrestlers of any era ever in any place. And but he was also just a great, just an all-time hoss. He was a hoss. Trademark Jr. So Tenzan gets, doesn't even get NWO music. He just gets 
like generic music. I don't even think it was like NWO Japan music. I think it was literally just generic music. I think it was, it was, was it the B-team music that he talked Oh, that's right. No, you know what? I think you're right. I think it was the B-team music. That's right. That's right. I'm um, remember it. Yeah. 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 That's right. Yeah. That's right. Ohara gets generic Japan music. Like, like Orient guy number four music. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sunny Ono, who gets a lot of work because he's the only guy that's allowed to manage Japanese <laughs> you you'll get to see him a lot anytime they do any of this stuff. So Sonny Ono, who in general I liked, you know, it's more that WCW was just racist to him and the most of the guys. Then there's a problem with Sonny Ono. Wait, are you saying that a an evil foreign I mean, maybe, maybe that's what I'm saying. Uh, so, Bobby the Brain Heenan, so, t- uh, Tanae says a bunch of stuff about, since he's like, he's in NWO Japan, and he was the second guy, and Bobby the Brain, after a pause, goes, he's right. <laughs> and Tony just laughs. <laughs> Uh, Heenan says something really racist. I can't, I didn't write down exactly what it was, but it was really racist. Uh, and I noted that O'Hara is the equivalent to Ray Trailer's storyline now in Japan. And I'm like, that, that doesn't ever have any legs. I wonder if it had any legs in Japan, because it didn't have any legs there. Do you think you should recap what, uh, happened? With the Tenzan and O'Hara and Omo. Because you touched on it with the Freedom Box. What is the Freedom Box? Uh, so, I just remember that Chono and Chono and Tenzan beat him up and they sprayed dog on his back, right? And so then he, uh, then he decided to, to lean into that Freedom Dog part, but I missed the, Deeper meaning there. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's kind of like the shorty chi Oh, <laughs> that's okay. That's right. Because they called him a dog because he was like squat and and yeah, because he's like short and yeah, that's right. Because he is short. He's just kind of a short guy. Because not like Zenzon is huge. It's the shorty G. God, that's so sad. Uh, so this during this match is when Tony says look I don't want to be the voice of an uprising even though the entire show all he wanted to be is the voice of an uprising we're starting a revolution here (laughs) the fans not mad but indifferent okay yeah they're they're like okay this is the match which is fine uh O'Hara even does the praying powerbomb, which is really when I was like, whoa, whoa. This is straight on Hakushi. Damn it. What are you doing? Tenzan hits the TTD. What is this? Tenzan Terrible Driver? Is that that kind of scoop power driver he did? Yes. That looks crazy dangerous. Yes, but he did it all the time. I mean, that was often his finish. 
in Japan was that kind of wow. kind of scoop, you know, sheer drop Michinoku driver kind of thing. Um, the TTD and it's 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 pretty crazy looking. It is dangerous looking, but he he was I don't, as far as I know, he never really injured anybody with it. So. And then he went up top and hit the diamond headbutt for the win. After some back and forth, it was a it was a good match. It's, you know, at this point, it was kind of a time waster. It was kind of a move everybody along so they could get uh, get more Hogan time later. Uh, it was fine. It was a yeah, fine match. No, no, it was. It felt like considering everything that happened before it, I was like, oh. I was I was pleased. Like this is what I this is the kind of matches that I really watched Nitro and under Nitro mostly for is like when they got to do these showcase matches with people you'd never get to see. Like on Nitro they'd have, you know, um Magnum Tokyo and SEMA and all these guys and I'm like, These guys are so cool. So Tenzan wins after the diving headbutt, which they have to go out of their way and mention is like Benoit's because they just have to. <laughs> they just have to ruin every move. <laughs> yeah. And the other thing that I noted before, as the match was over, before I moved on, is Tony was like, the NWO has scored two wins on Thunder tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, well, what is the reverse Chris Adams decision? You can't do that. Come on, Tony. Sadly, it's. It's the official result. WCW, we follow the rules. WCW, we note wins and losses. They were the precursor to AEW, how important wins and losses are. We have to note. Oh, God. Okay, so this is the part where I get really sad. So let's get into it, because I know this is the part that gets you sad as well. Go on. We have a Nitro flashback. And the Nitro flashback is... Ric Flair calling out Brett the Hitman Hart. Okay. <laughs> now, I'm not, okay. I'm not the spoiler alert. It's all good. This flashback will reoccur on the live show almost its entirety. They do the exact same. They do literally, like, so the exact same that I was appalled. I was I was upset at how yeah. exactly the same they do it again, right? Because, again, you have Bret Hart, who is a very talented storyline person, right? Very talented. I don't hold Bret Hart in as much esteem as others do, but I know that he was one of the greats. I would never say he's not. You have Ric Flair, literally the best probably at the time of – just speaking, just giving them a microphone and being entertaining, right? They could not figure out a way to give these two something to say. Now, it's an important thing for them to cover. The best there is, the best there was, the best there ever will be, and the 13-time world champion. Those are things that those are things that those guys should butt heads on, right? Yeah, so when good motivations. <laughs> Things to get set at the other person. Right. Uh, good starting points. But why are we doing this with the hottest baby face coming from your competition right after 
he was involved in the Starcade main event. <laughs> He's supposed to be the ultimate good guy. And you're going to put him in a situation where he can't get the cheers. He's going to get Mr. WCW. Not only is he against Mr. WCW, he's against Brett, he's against Ric Flair, the leader of the still existing four horsemen. Oh, they, oh, yeah, they do it. You had the every ability to make Bret Hart the biggest face ever by having the four horsemen just mess him up. You could have brought Bret, I was thinking about this because that's what I do instead of sleeping. You could have had Bret Hart come out here and just have him have matches. And be like, look, Bret Hart's coming out here, and he's like, I want to throw away everything that I did in that other promotion that's garbage. And I want to come here, and I want to prove that I am the best. And so I'm going to have a match with, you know, Dean Malenko, and I'm going to have a match with Ming. And I'm going to use all these different crafty ways to win. <laughs> okay, maybe not Ming. I couldn't. Look, this <laughs> This show damaged my brain so much that I could only think of Goldberg, Mongo, as Ming as wrestlers. So that's on me. Okay, that's on me. But there's, there are great guys in the, on the roster that they could Chris Adams, for example. They could have come out, you know, and had matches against these guys that are good, that could have showcased them. And then you could have Flair have these different promos on the side where he's like, this guy keeps saying that he's the blah, 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 blah. I can't stand it. And then they, they do four horsemen stuff to him. And he just gets bigger and bigger. He keeps winning matches, and they build up to this two greatest technical wrestlers of maybe all time matching off in this giant match. But instead, they have Bret Hart the ref versus Ric Flair, the guy in a suit who barely wrestles, talk to each other about the same thing two times. It is insanely mind-boggling. This should have been, literally, this angle should have been bigger than Hogan versus Sting. It should have been bigger than that. It should have been over top of that, or at least right next to it. It should have been a gigantic deal. It should have been a gigantic deal. You know, and you know what would have been great if it was for, like, the U.S. title? Because they, they're staying out of all that other politics garbage. And so it says, look, we're going to put the U.S. title on Bret Hart. Because Bret Hart needs a title. The U.S. title would have been hilarious to me for him to, like, pimp right then, you know. He could have leaned into the faces. Like, he's like, you know what? I was very pro-Canada when I was in the WWF. I'm coming here. I'm trying to start over. I like the U.S. I appreciate this. You know what I mean? He could have leaned way face into this thing. I'll give you that. But, so, anyhow, what happens is, basically, Flair says, everybody in the world wants you to say to my face, you're the best there is, the best there is, the best there ever will be. And so Bret Hart says, and the best there is, the best there was, the best there ever will be. And so Flair says, okay, I want to cut through the crap. Do you think you're better than me? And Bret Hart's like, yeah, basically I just said I don't think you're better than me. And, yeah, and, well, so while this is happening, though, the segment's running along. And so Keen Oakland's like, guys, we got to cut it, we got to cut it, we got to cut it. But as Bret Hart's trying to walk away, Flair's starting shit with him still. But then they got to cut it because they're WCW and they can't. Two things with the right timing. Luckily, we have thunder. <laughs> so we can the argument in its entirety. 
And they still, well, we'll get there. We'll get there. I don't want to jump ahead. Oh, I've right. been patiently waiting. <laughs> I mean, are we near the end? It has to be the end, right? What would it be, like six hours of this? <laughs> you know what? It's about this time that I was looking at my notes and I was like, wait, what? No. What? <sighs> so we move very smoothly. Now, before I move on, I want to make sure you have enough time, because this is a big deal for you. As a guy that was at the screw job, I just want to make sure you have enough time to get through your grievances here. We're going to have time again later. I just want to make sure you have time. My grievance is not that he wrestled clear, but that he did it at this moment in time. Right. Right. But is, why is it... Hollywood Hogan going after Bret Hart because he screwed him out of the title. Right. This is never brought up or mentioned that Bret Hart restarted the match. <laughs> I guess some of it though has to be that because he didn't he didn't have anything to screw up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the, the way Hogan tells it. Magic happens, and Sting has the title somehow. <laughs> He's like, "Look, I'm the champ," and Bishop's like, "I told you you'd be the champ. I told you, I told you you'd be the champ." Like, what? what are you so there's, no, there's no cause and effect. Oh God, it's really bad. And Bret Hart like, "Well, job well done. I guess I'll just leave then." And Jason Dillon never calls off Bret Hart for restarting a match that is sanctioned by WCW. No, and they don't even mention how Bret had the authority to do it in the first place. <laughs> oh, oh, but the commentary that night is said, oh, well, he was a referee for the conference of the disco. So he just, he just had the powers all night. Surely any oh, referee can come in and... God overrule any other referee? Just whenever they feel like it. <sighs> that, that has to be now part of the rules. I, I guess I guess you're right. I guess you're right. <laughs> it's the only logical answer. I just end my grievance and we'll wrap up okay. and babble for an hour. That's okay. We're gonna we're gonna get to go back into it. So it's no. <laughs> but first we're gonna get to what I think is the best match on the show? I think it is the best match on the show. I could think of only one other candidate, but this is up there. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, we'll talk about it. But this is this is a good match between Chris Jericho, Lionheart Chris Jericho, versus the Nature Boy Ric Flair. Because it's on the network, the first saddest thing is I guess they don't have the rights to Jericho's WCW theme at the time. I mean, how do you not have the right between generic songs you hear on the center? Oh, so generic. I do not understand it. So he's playing the break the walls down, which is so... There's a word for when you have things that are in a different time era, but they don't... Yeah. An yeah. An an anachronistic? An anachronistic? Something like that. Something like that, yeah. And it's so that it, was, it almost pulled me out of the crappy thunder set that we're in. Almost. But it didn't. But it almost did so Jericho comes out with he's got a suit jacket on because I guess Jericho's gimmick now 
is that he loses matches, he throws a fit, and he just like attacks David Penzer after he announces that he lost. And he tears his jacket. Guess that's what's happening. Chris Arkell would not rather have the chair. <laughs> that's, that's right. He is just about the Penzer and not the chair brain. <laughs> so while Jericho's coming to the ring, they cut to the flock. They don't really say anything about the flock. They just cut to him, and then they move back. Okay, fine. So Jericho gets in the ring, and he sounds so Canadian. It's beautiful. Where he's talking about how he apologizes for his behavior. He's sorry, and he says it will never, ever happen again. But not in the Chris Jericho way, but almost in the Chris Jericho way. And I popped a little in my heart for that. <laughs> so he presents Penzer the suit jacket as an apology, and he looks, he's very wholesome. Like he does a really good job being very wholesome there. So they have the Nature Boy has an entrance. He's got Pyro. It's a really good entrance. I'm shocked that Flair is out there by himself. I'm like, why is Ric Flair out here by himself? But fine, it's Thunder. Yeah, I guess you save some travel costs. Um, but I'm sitting here, and at the time I'm writing, I wonder how many matches Flair and Jericho had ever. It couldn't have been too many. And then they're like, right after that, they're like, yeah, this is the first time that they had a singles match. They had like a tag team match. And I'm like, well, okay. There we go. And I don't imagine they had too many matches. I mean, it's got to be handfuls. It's too bad. I wonder what current day Chris Jericho would have uh, as a match against Ric Flair. Not current day flair, but they're near the end. I wonder right. what that would look like. Right. Like, just a little pre, pre, I'm sorry, I love you, super kick flair yeah. versus current Jericho. I think it would be a good match because they wouldn't try to do too much. Mm -hmm. And they could work within their own. And they're both, they're both so, such great in ring storytellers, especially Jericho now. That I think they would tell an awesome story. I think it would be very similar to the story that was told between HBK and Flair. You know, like they didn't have to do too many crazy. Like Jericho at that time was still very, very like you know we we talk about this. Um, you you folks may not know it, but Steve and I talk not on podcast too by this by this eight hour podcast it's going to be. Uh, but you know we talk about the career mode in uh, WWE 2K20, you have, like, that creator wrestler, and you're trying to do all the moves when you have first have those few matches. Like, that's what Jericho felt like a little bit early. Like, he just, he just felt like some kid had his controller, and he was like, okay, I'm going to do the drop kick, I'm going to do, do a bunch of these moves. Because I have it, my, my wrestler has these moves. And so I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this running drop kick and I'm gonna do the springboard drop kick and I'm gonna do the, and it's not that he didn't tell a good story, but it certainly sounded a little bit more haphazard than Jericho later did. So, the match, uh, I also made a note that little Nate, uh, let, Nature, nature Boy in the Ring, and I always just am amused because that's so far from now 
But it's just so funny seeing Charles Robinson and Ric Flair and remembering that there was a time when Charles Robinson was an actual character. It was a miniature Ric Flair. <laughs> so Flair gets in the ring and he does a woo. And I guess, I think it was Bobby the Brain. It's like, okay, we're all going to woo on three. One, two, three. And Bobby the Brain Heenan and uh, Marshall, the Marshall woo. Apparently, Tony didn't woo. I couldn't tell. I actually played it back to see if I could tell if all three of them wooed or not. But Bobby the Brain is like, you know what? Marshall can't even woo on Keith. So they have a moment where he's like, it's woo. It's woo. You know, they're like actually sounding out the woos, which just cracked me up. So the match starts. It's a good early match. And Jericho has a backdrop, and Nature Boy sells the leg like he hurt it. And when I'm watching the match, not remembering what happened, I'm like, oh, did he really hurt him? Did he actually get hurt? Yeah, so then Jericho comes over and does a really bad job of the, I'm checking on you, pose. (laughs) He, like, stands, like, two feet away with, like, his hands out. And his head down like he was a he was a glitch animation, <laughs> and then Flair pokes the eyes, which is beautiful. And I note how funny that how damaging eye pokes are in this era of wrestling. Eye pokes would just like you could hit a guy in the back with a chair, you could drop kick him in the face, but if you poke his eye, he is stunned for minutes. Oh, game over. <laughs> Yeah, forget about it. Forget about it. So, Nature Boy is in full dirtiest player mode. He just does it in front of the ref nutshot. I'm like, can he? Can you just do that? Now, this is something that, in my notes, I have. What on earth is Charles Robinson distracted oh, by? No, that's right. He was looking at something. That's right. there's, there's, there are no managers. There's nothing happening. He's just staring outside the ring. He was actually checking the rope on the top turnbuckle. So I assume oh that maybe God. at some point, Flair must have untied it? Wow. Okay, I did not notice that at all. Yeah, that's right. I went back because I was just like, he just nutshot him. <laughs> what? But that's right. That's good that you reminded me. That's right. He somehow untied or loosened the top turnbuckle, and so Charles Robinson went back to retie it, and that's when he nutshot it in. Okay. The camera work wasn't great all the time. <laughs> that's the generous. <laughs> so I think Jericho misses a dive or something, and Nature Boy puts in the figure four, and he taps right away. It was a, good, it was a really good match. I really enjoyed it. Tony Schiavone calls it one of Mixler's biggest wins in his career. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> because he says later, like, Jericho, he's a big up-and-comer, so it's sad that he throws these tantrums. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so right. Hey, so Tony has him on the Chris Adams trajectory. Of <laughs> he does. It's, it's Chris Adams 1, Rick Martel 2, <laughs> Jericho 3, except now that Flair's beating him, now Flair is in the Chris Adams trajectory. Thank goodness. Oh, my. Oh, my. <laughs> One day, we might have Chris Adams versus Ric Flair, and holy crap. Whoa. If that's oh, not for oh, all the more oh, oh, <laughs> so, so Jericho throws a tension tantrum. It's, it's, 
They they show him ripping off Pender's jacket, but other than that, they could not give a crap. They are so ready to zoom out and cut the commercial. <laughs> I was surprised they even showed as much as they show. Yes, and the, and he tore the jacket that he had just given. Did he Pender. just given Pender? Well, that's funny because I was like, did he tear the jacket that he just gave Pender? Because Pender had a jacket when he gave it to him, and so Ooh. I wonder which jacket got torn. And I don't know if there was a way to know, but I was not going back to find out. <laughs> so here's the thing we are in a run of like four matches in a row which is awesome so our next match is Ming who is awesome he's the monster and he should never lose he should never lose and WCW is always great about he never got to do anything more than come out and get built up like a monster so some monster could beat him. And they just did that uh, over and over again. And I never minded it because I always believed that Mang could actually beat up every single human being on the roster, period. Oh, yeah. Except for the Barbarian. Those two guys would probably kill each other. I believe they did wrestle each other on, like, some random Nitro. They did. They had, like, a a, a build to wrestling each other, and I can't remember who won. And I think it had just some kind of Dungeon of Doom goofy finish or something. So, I I could not remember if the Dungeon of Doom still existed or not. I guess maybe it did. At this time, I don't think so, because Giant's alone. Well, that's true. Conan's gone. I guess there was a But he's got Jimmy Hart. So, thank goodness Jimmy Hart gets to come out with Meng to provide some Jimmy Hartness. So the the thing that I know is the announcers are selling this announcement that it sold out on January twenty fourth. They have a big announcement. Flair versus Hart. Dream match. But they announce at the opening of the match between the entrance of Meng versus the Giant. Yes. Wow. Meng versus the Giant is the place that they decided it was a good point to announce the biggest match in wrestling history at the time. <laughs> and they do what was my favorite thing and on my list of very favorite things. They said, look, call your friends right now, fans. <laughs> I just laugh at the thought of somebody watching this show, Thunder, and having a friend that's like, look, I'm not going to watch Thunder, but if something happens, you call me. <laughs> you call me right away. <laughs> are, they, are they your real friends that they don't call you? <laughs> look, look, if you don't call me, look, if, in that, if during... During the match in the middle of the show, if they announce Flair versus Hart, you don't call me. We're not friends anymore. So I got to call right away. Well, this ties into what happened on Nitro because they didn't announce the match event. You were the hanging, like, oh. Right. Uh, <laughs> right. But they, they didn't bother to do anything. Like,. They went through all that, and the announcement was a, a read on a sheet during Meng's entrance. Like, look, look, we need Meng and Jimmy Hart to get all the shine because this match is not going to do Meng any favors. 
So, Giant comes out. The announcers are like, hey, Giant is great. And, and during this, they announce another match. I can't even remember, remember what it is. But it even makes the announce of Flair versus Hart even less. Oh, they, they announce Giant versus Nash. That sold out as well. Well, that would be something to announce during a Giant match. <laughs> so they announce it, but then the funny thing is Tony says, there's no way for him to get out of this one. Emily, <laughs> but why? What, what do you mean? How did he have a way of getting out of the other one? What? <laughs> and I don't, I don't know if they announced it on the show or not, but spoiler alert, Nash has a title shot for the U.S. title on this show, where the last thing he did was not show up to the match against the Giant. This was not announced. Wait, your body was because I read the description on the WWE Network. Yeah, so I didn't think they even announced it. They maybe it is not announced at all. No, I was just like, wait, what? Wait, what? <laughs> but there's no way that Nash can get out of this one. I, I hope you told your friend this when she called you. Well, right. I was like, look, let me tell you what. I was about to hang up, but they just announced Giant and Nash. And listen, before you hang up, there's no way Nash can get out of this one. So we have to order sold out. Yeah. Very important. It's kind of TBS thing I watched sold out recently, by the way. Holy crap, was it god-awful. Oh, so that's fun. Wow. So we'll get there, maybe, but wow. So this match, uh, the couple of notes that I had about it is the heart gets up on the, the apron, but not to face the giant. He, like, just waves at the crowd or flails his arm around or something. So the giant can pick him up and throw him into Ming. Sure. Which was cute. So the match keeps happening, and Ming hits this beautiful low drop kick, like beautiful mm. on the giant. The giant goes down in one knee, and I'm like, Oh my gosh, Ming needs to, to uh, Shining Wizard him right now. That, was, that would have been the best. But he didn't, because that didn't exist yet. So Ming gets some offense. The Giant starts no-selling him. The funniest thing is the Giant puts him in a chokeslam, but Ming's not ready to cooperate with chokeslams. So he's swinging his arms, but eventually Ming is like, Okay, go ahead. And it actually looked good, so maybe that was their plan. But a little, there's a little bit of me that's like, the Giants going to have to, like, hit him once or something to be like, hey, Meng, it's time to go to the finish. But there's no finish unless Meng wants to go to the finish. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's true. If Meng only lets you, so like Andre the Giant, you only get to do something to Andre the Giant if he lets you. Exactly. So he hits the choke slam. He pins him. matches over. It told the right story. And so, fine, I was fine with that. I mean, yeah, so, so what, if you have to have Ming lose, might as well be the giant. Yeah. My last note in this match is Meng should have held the U.S. title for a full calendar year. That's what should have happened. And when would Bret Hart have the U.S. title? Well, then Bret Hart beats Meng. What, talk about what a hero he would have been. If he beats Meng, the unstoppable monster Meng, for the U.S. title, and then Flair and the Horsemen come out and kick his ass. Holy crap. How awesome would that have been? Sold. I mean, how awesome would it have been, though, to 
to see Bret Hart come out, find a way to put Mang in the, in the sharpshooter and win. You, you, you know how big of a pop that would be after Mang defeated all comers for like six months? Oh, man. I'm going to recreate this in some. I'm going to fire up uh, Revenge and recreate this. <laughs> So we get to move to our next match. We have another match again. Another I know. We've got some matches. We have uh, what's ultimately, and I didn't know this when I was watching it because they don't mention it at all, a rematch from Starcade, Mongo oh. versus Goldberg. I had no idea. And they don't say anything about it being a rematch. Oh. It was like a tables match. <laughs> Mongo went for a table or something. Okay. We got a tables match at Starcade? I don't think it was a tables match, but somehow Mongo went to a table on that oh. match at Starcade. It was not worth me looking into it because it was Goldberg. Goldberg was super green, and Mongo, his whole career was green. So, yeah. I mean, yeah. So, Mongo flashes the four horsemen side, and I'm like, hey, why aren't the four horsemen like a thing right now? Like, what? Why? What? Well, this is, this is why Muggle couldn't come out with Flair. Well, that's why. If it's a pair for older. <laughs> yes, that's right. Uh, Mongo, I think, was a perfectly fine horseman in general. I was not, it's not a bad choice considering the, the talent they had. For a guy who was, you know, if you had to add a mid-card guy, he was perfectly fine as a horseman. I'm not as, uh, in tune with the lore of the Four Horsemen. Oh, and my knowledge of their crime was from the WWE DVD. Ah, sure. So I understand why people were not thrilled to have Mongo in there. Yeah. And he was not a good wrestler. No. He was he was not awful in this match at all. No, no, he wasn't. This is watchable. This is a perfectly good Mongo. I mean, this is the kind of match Mongo should have ever only. Mm. Yeah. Like, I, what was that? He starts to match off to his thighs. I'm like, what? Yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> he did. I was like, wow. <laughs> Excuse you, Mongo. Right. right. Working boots on. Yeah, he was ready to work. The, the real pro- the problem with Mongo is, quite honestly, he was the worst horseman. I mean, that's the that's the problem. Mm. You know, he was the worst horseman, but there could have been much worse horsemen. So, yeah, fine. No. So, I call this a hoff-off. Mongo starts it off. He just starts off the hoff-off. Yeah, they had a lot of good guys to work. I mean, just like, you know, Mang and Barbarian, these guys that could just let Goldberg be strong without having to be skilled was great. It was a good choice to have him work here. Goldberg does a gorilla press into a power slam, which I always thought was super impressive. He's still Bill Goldberg at this stage. He is, but, but... Brain mentions that he doesn't want people to say Bill like three times. <laughs> but he wasn't the phenomenon that he was yet, so he got to still be Bill Goldberg, which it, it ultimately 
if you separate everything else and you say, I have a wrestler called Bill Goldberg, there's no way you would have expected him to not be a jobber. Yeah. You can make Barry Horowitz. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Barry Darsow. <sighs> Goldberg pulls a judo leg scissor, a rolling judo leg scissors in this match. Which reminds me, he used to do that sort of stuff. Yeah, this was like the first time, really, that he did it. And I was like, you know what? I'm sure he did that for somebody in the back. I'm sure someone was like, that guy sucks. And he was like, I got you right here. Check this out. I also noted that Goldberg, every time he stood up in this match, 100% of the time, he did that same neck movement thing that he does all the time. That little shake his neck, rotate his neck, steady kind of thing. No matter if he was selling or not, when he stood up, he did that every time, and it made me laugh. I believe that's intensity. Well, yeah, that's right. I mean, that's, he, he was full of intensity every time he got <laughs> Bobby the Brain even says, I think Goldberg is undefeated. And I'm like, yeah, I think that's really right. Well, interesting. Yeah. Is he undefeated as Rick the Model Martel? <laughs> oh, my goodness. The story is right underneath our nose. The whole time. <laughs> uh, <laughs> at this point, does Goldberg rank above Rick or below Rick? Oh, you know what? They, it was so secondary that they mentioned Goldberg being undefeated compared to the mention of Martel. I think they, I think Martel they had as a higher prospect, or a higher, not prospect, but a higher guy than Goldberg. I don't think they knew what they had yet in Goldberg. The jackhammer at that time was awesome. I remember in, I think, Fire Pro D when it was first in there, and I was like, this is the most awesome move ever because he was he looked so strong when he did it. So strong. Wow. I just remember this jackhammer and not the later jackhammer. Yeah, this jackhammer is the one to remember because he was at his full height of his powers. The later ones got sad. Also, Goldberg's traps were not human. <laughs> That's not a way a human being should look in the neck area. I don't know how you how you do that. I don't either. They were like four inches thick or five. They were huge. Uh, last note I had is Bobby the Brain Heenan said, he plays college football for the doggies. Very specifically, I'd knock it Tony. And Tony's like, it was the Georgia Bulldogs. And I laughed. And I, I was like, wow. Bobby Brain Heenan just, just went to cut him down there. And I oh, was yeah. like, yeah, back pocket. <laughs> like, dang, Bobby. Dang. For those of you who don't know, Tony was, Tony did. Maybe he still does, but he did play-by-play play for Georgia Bulldogs baseball. He's part of that community. He's big there. Uh, Goldberg was a Georgia Bulldog, played football for them. Part of the brain he in, likes to try to get David and Tony whenever he can get away with. So we get to another good match. 
with probably, if I'm really honest with myself, pre-neck injury Buff Bagwell was my was the most entertaining wrestler for me to watch at the time. The most hey, entertaining. Buff, and you can see in the crowd there's so many Buff signs. Dude, connected. He's so connected. He was such a little goofy jerk. No, but this is the thing. He loved himself. He was, no wrestler was ever happier to go to the ring than Buff Bagwell. No one ever showed so much joy about just going to the ring than Buff Bagwell did. And that whole team, it was Buff and Conan. So the match is Buff and Conan with Vincent versus the Steiner Brothers. And that whole team comes out there like they are going on vacation. They're so freaking happy to be going to the ring. The end of your having the time of their lives. The Steiners with Ted DiBiase for some reason are going up there like, oh, after we're at this meeting again. <laughs> yes, it literally looks like those guys are after to be like, we have to do work. And some of it is in storyline because, as you'll see in this match, the storyline is teasing a little bit of the Steiner Brothers breakup. Scott Steiner is at like 60% Big Papa Pump right now. He's like right on the edge. Of it. And and we're talking about bodies that are not human. <laughs> <laughs> every every part of his like the way whenever he flexes his arm and he has that muscle and his arm is so big, he's got a big muscle and he's got like the little Looney Tunes cartoon muscle <laughs> on top of it. Like I'm like, this is insane. I mean and, and sorry Hollywood that you don't have the largest arms in the world, right? No. Oh, God, no. No, Scott Snyder by far was the champion there. And so you mentioned Ted DiBiase leads them out, which, is, excuse me, is the storyline is he makes them smarter. Right, they are, they are the most brilliant tag team. So, and they talk about this in the match a bunch. It, well, Tony is trying to be like, they don't need to be smarter, they're smart enough. And they're acting like they won the titles because of that. And I'm like, was that their first ever tag title reign in WCW? Because I don't think it was. It's one of those things where it seems like that's impossible. Right. But I'm not going to research it. No, me either. No, I'm not going to research it, but I'm just like, is that, because they're acting like it is. They're acting like those guys. As a matter of fact, Lee Marshall says, the, the the story with them is you can lead a Steiner to water, but you can't make him think. This is amazing. Wow. That's an amazing line. Wow. And, and remember, and know the Steiners are the good guys are meant to cheer for. Yes. <laughs> and my other favorite part is they start with Bagwell and Scott Steiner, and Bagwell just gets up next to the camera and he flexes and he says, he just mouths, he goes, my arms are twice the size of Scott's and laughs. He laughs the most joyous, pure laugh of any person in the world. That's why he's the stuff. That's why he literally was just one of my very favorite because he just loved it so much. He just could tell that everything about performing, he just Ate it up. And he didn't care. He could not care less whether he was winning or losing because just performing was what he gave a shit about. 
But now we have to lead to a question that I have to ask a few times. How the hell did Conan and Bagwell get a tag title shot? Well, you see, this is a rematch, so the same way they got their first one. Well, good point. Okay, so we, it's a good time because now we get to actually talk about this, this match, which, honestly, I don't have much notes on the match itself. The match was fine. Conan is not... Conan is interesting because he wasn't a bad wrestler, right? But he wasn't necessarily an ex- a wrestler that made me excited to watch wrestling. Hmm. What do you mean? Just when he was in the ring, I never was like, ooh, I can't wait to see Conan do whatever, whatever thing. Mm-hmm. You know, there's nothing about Conan when he's in the ring. Like, almost every wrestler had something, not almost every, but every wrestler in my brain, they had something that connected me to what they did in the ring to where I was like, oh, this is interesting. Like, like almost every wrestler at least had one star thing. Like Scott Steiner, when he put those arms around for that belly to belly, I don't care what else he does. He does that belly to belly, does that little flex pose, that pops my chest every time, you know? Conan, just, I didn't, I, I guess he had that like rolling lariat. Which I kind of like, so there's yeah, that. There's that. Huh? Yeah, there's that. Maybe I'm downplaying Conan just because I think maybe just in this match, everyone else in the match, I was so hyped for it. Less, more than a little bit more than Conan. Um, he was fine. Conan was fine. You said Vincent up there, so I can understand why he <laughs> kind of pales in comparison. Yeah, I mean, Vincent was out there and he did something in this match. He did he get on the apron? Yes. <laughs> I don't remember. I don't think he did anything. I think he was literally out there with his sunglasses on, just waving his arms around. Okay. Vincent, who made it a literal second half of his career just walking back and forth from the ring to the dressing room. That was his entire second half of his career. Sometimes he had to sell to Sting. <laughs> That's it. <sighs> so the match is happening. It's a fine match. And the thing, the first thing I note is how much people freaking loved Rick Steiner. When they, oh, yeah. tagged him oh, in, yeah. they just all started, an entire arena of people just started barking. Incredible. It is something to be seen. Really is. It was incredible. So he comes out. There's a really ugly neckbreaker botch between him and Buff Bagwell. Oh, my God. Yes. That's sort of some telepathic uh, neckbreaker going on. Yeah, yeah. That was like you, you... You made a creator wrestler half the size, but then you did a normal move animation. That's what that was. So I noted when watching this match, I underrate Rick Steiner. I forget that Rick Steiner was rather good. He he was good. Yeah. He was he was decent singles. He was good in the tag team. He was just a good all-around guy. So props to Rick. It took me Thunder number one, four and a half hours into Thunder number one before I realized it. Well, that's what happens when you get on TBS to get new eyes on you and me. <laughs> that's right. That's what it's all about. <laughs> I bet that lawyer's career really took off 
another thing that's currently played on Thunder. <laughs> so they set up for the what is that? The Steiner line? Or no, it's I, the Bulldog is different. I don't know if they had a name for the Bulldog. I mean, they might have, but who yeah, yeah. But either one of those, they said it, he could get ready to do it, and then Steiner's like, nah. I'm just gonna yeah. go to the other side and what did he run on him? He's Steiner. Yeah, he did the Frankensteiner. The Frankensteiner, yes, right. He did the Frankensteiner to him and he gets the pin. But the one thing that they didn't do, and it's the only time in this entire show that they didn't do it, was let that be subtle. Like they just showed Rick being angry and they teased it and they just showed Rick with this thing on his face, but they didn't, Tony wasn't yelling about it. I was like, this is really actually good storytelling for like the only time. <laughs> it, was, it was excellent. I'm like, this is excellent. And not only was this excellent, the match was good to allow the storytelling. Buff Bagwell made the match entertaining as hell. Like, everything about this, like, even though I think that the Flair-Jericho match technically was just a better match technically, this was the best packaged thing on the show. Hmm. you enjoyed it the most. I think so. I think I enjoyed it. But, it's, you know what, it could have been freaking Buff Bagwell and Vincent versus... High energy, and I would have loved it because he just had so much damn joy. He just made me the happiest when I saw him on the show, especially now because this show was ripping my ass down. Really, <laughs> when they formatted the show, they said, "All right, joy time." <laughs> like, look, we got to make sure we book some joy because people need it, and we're going to tell this really cool story while the announcers are screaming about how dumb the sign is. <laughs> you can lead a Steiner to water, but you can't make them think. Just unbelievable. So then the network keeps in a Macho Man Slim Jim commercial. Yeah. I mean, cool, but why? Yeah. I, I, <laughs> I don't like Slim Jims, but these commercials made me buy them and eat them. <laughs> I still will eat them and think of Macho Man, even though I do not like them. Yeah, if I'm at a gas station and I'm sick of jerky, but I want something like that, I will buy a Slim Jim and I will choke it down just because of these <laughs> commercials, which is, I guess, amazing. I've never in my life had a Slim Jim. They are... This is what I'm going to say about Slim Jim. Nothing tastes as unique as a Slim Jim. It's the flavor that you can't get with anything else, which is why they still, they're still around, I think. You know, now each gas station has their rip-off version, so I guess you can, but back then, you absolutely couldn't. But it tasted like meat and shoe polish. It just was weird. It was weird. I, it, look, people liked it. I... Hated it, but still ate it. They were they were good with cheese. I will say that they had like these little packs where you could get a slim jim and like a like a cheddar. Those were good. Those I would recommend. Wow, old shoe polish and cheese, <laughs> an old jerky. It's perfect. <laughs> I don't want to do it Saturday night. <laughs> Make sure you make an appointment to your local gas station for some of that joy. So. 
the other thing that happens here is that they have to mention that Scott Steiner, there's an issue. Scott Steiner has a fine, but they don't know why or what. Oh, <laughs> And it's actually in this whole storyline thing, again, an actual subtle storyline telling, except everyone misses it. So they, yeah. it, it, falls, it falls dead because it's so poorly done. It would have been great. To this day, I don't know what he did wrong. Well, so they, they, it'll come up, and when we get to it, we'll, we'll talk about it. <laughs> but I never saw it, and neither did the announcers. But they'll tell you. We'll, t- we'll mention what it was. <laughs> but I don't want to – look, I think I think the, the, the Steiner storyline is the thing to actually listen to us for and watch the show for, so I don't want to push ahead. Everybody just calm really? down. We'll get there. And we're all excited uh, for Thunder. Yeah, I know. So I, I think I still have four pages of notes left. So here we go. Oh, my God. <laughs> so we got the Starcade flashback, Larry Tabisco versus Eric Bischoff, a.k.a. Easy e that they actually said during the announcing. Important. It's really important for some reason. The fact that they have time to show this entire match is insane. It is, because here you are getting the value of Starcade 97 for free for, on TBS. For free on TBS in the middle of your thunder that you're already really excited to watch. Imagine being in the crowd for this. God. What were the, what were the, was the crowd watching this? Were they giving, doing another match? Like, were they, I didn't even see any screens. So how could they yeah. even be watching it? Maybe they had just... The standard arena screen? Maybe. Maybe they did. Man, that would be very bad for a lot of people. Yeah. You're like, yeah, I went to the live show and I watched the pay-per-view that I bought because I'm a (laughs) WCW fan. And I kind of hurt my neck just looking straight straight up. After after the whiplash from the Chris Adams decision, then I had to look up (laughs) and watch this screen. Uh, uh, so, uh, are we going to actually recap this? Well, look, thing? I wrote notes for it, so we got to do it. I wouldn't have been able watching this whole stupid thing. So, but I'll go quickly. I'm not gonna. We won't. We won't stick with it too long. Right. So, Bret Hart is the special ref, and I remember when they announced Bret Hart as the ref. He comes out. And he's like, that's what you want me to do is ref? Really? And then he's like, I'll be honored. And he rolls his eyes. <laughs> so on, I think it's behind the shadows or something, Eric Bischoff is like, look, I screwed up when we introduced Bret Hart, but Bret Hart literally gave us zero in the storyline. I'm like, I, I understand why. This was garbage. How do you even was in a position to even be part of this? It's amazing, but this is garbage. So, in the intro, Dusty Rhodes, I think it's Rhodes and Tanae and Tony, I think. I don't remember. It's not worth thinking about too long. Uh, but Rhodes says, is Bret Hart a tweener? And I'm like, <laughs> what is this? Is Bret Hart a tweener? Can I say? It's a pop for tweeters. <laughs> it's like, wow, 
Okay, Dusty. <laughs> Calm down. Uh, and I laughed on the far shot because there was a giant Canadian flag right in the front, the front row. And then I was like, oh, Maple Leaf. All right, I dig it. That's how we roll. That's right. That's right. Uh, in this match from Larry Zabisco versus Eric Bischoff, let's make sure we get that. Get the rest country flag. <laughs> <laughs> I noted that every time I think of WCW Revenge, I think of the Starcade set and the Halloween Havoc set. But the Starcade set was my favorite because at the time, there's something about it that looked so like important. It just looked so professional. Starcade set. I was like, I like this. Larry got Halloween the Havoc set. Howie Howie said it was awesome. It was amazing. I mean, it was probably the best set. But when I wanted, like, I would play that set all the time. But when I wanted, like, when I was like, okay, I'm going to pretend that uh, Hanzo Man is facing Glacier for the TV title, I need this to be an official, nice, clean arena. And so it's got to be Starcade. So Larry got the Nitro theme, which for some reason made me happy. I don't know why, but I was just like, oh, that's a nice theme for Larry to come out. Because he's, they're fighting for Nitro. Because if he loses, it'll be NWO Nitro, even though they're all under the same company and WCW can change it whenever. But whatever, whatever. Don't think too deep about it. That's, well, that's true. That's right. Before, the, they were just like, look, NWO has this power. I guess we need to shore up the contract so that it doesn't happen. <laughs> So the other thing that made me laugh is they announced over 5,000 professional matches and two World Heavyweight Championships for Larry Zbysko. That's a lot. He's been wrestling for a long time. Oh, yeah. But the even funnier thing is that Larry versus Hart would have been so much better. It would have been such a great match comparatively. Wait, are you saying that? My heart would have been a better opponent than Amanda Colton. <laughs> look, look. I mean, yes, I'm saying that. But what I mean, what I actually mean is that there is a there is an actual good story to tell for Larry versus Eric Bischoff. You know what I mean? Like, you can tell a professional wrestling story, not for as long as this stupid match was, but you can tell an interesting professional wrestling story. that I just mean not only the match, but, like, the whole story around it would have been just better by having those two guys in the ring against each other. But then how could you have, I think my heart would have to be for the NWO. I know. I mean, then then you have to tell a different story, and I don't want to break this awesome story that we had. Even though, even though we didn't get a w, an NWO Nitro, they still got their own pay-per-view later the next month, which cracks me up. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> Think about that till right now. <laughs> no, no, I did not. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Uh, okay. Cool. So, cool. <laughs> so the fans. But here's the thing: the fans were hype for this. I mean, they were absolutely bloodthirsty for this match. And the first ten minutes of this match. Five minutes. The first, the first three minutes of this match was very good because they established super heel guy versus hero Larry Zbysko. Even though Eric Bischoff could not throw a wrestling strike to save his life, <laughs> they at least sold it as 
hey, Larry's got to chase this guy down. It's going to be crazy. Also, uh, Hall is out there, so you got the Hall factor. It's going to be super healy. How is Larry going to figure this out? That was great. And then they kept doing it, and they kept doing it. And that's, I don't know if we're going to bring this up, but when you mentioned that Hart Specter ring in this match, <laughs> oh, yeah. How did that fit into the story at all? This is the most, that is the most insane thing is that they, first off, they overdid it. Like, I get, you have Brett be extra strict because he's trying to show that he's not biased. But Larry, because he's doing the professional wrestling holds, is the only one that's going to be affected by the extra strictness, right? Yeah. There's a story to tell yeah. there. But they did not bother to do this. <laughs> the announcers went crazy at literally calling him. I mean, they almost, they basically were like, he is an NWL heel rap. He is going to ruin all of our lives. They basically just screamed that on the microphone for 20 freaking yeah. minutes. And the problem with all that is, it's not necessary to this story. You didn't need to do any of <laughs> This already had all the story you needed. <sighs> You're making me think of this match even more, and that makes me sad. It's sad. Okay, so we'll, we'll blow through it then. So, so you have all that stuff. It really started to suck. It just they took the air out of it. Um, I said I noted that I'm glad this wasn't a Nitro on a pole match. You could have no, been. No, could have been. Could you? Oh, could you imagine? A pole match. I'm trying to think what would be up there. All the giant WCW letters on a pole. No, they'd be so boring. It would be a. It would be a. It would be a clipboard with WCW no, on it, and just a paper paper. It wouldn't even be that cool. No. And you'd be like. And now own the PC. <laughs> exactly. It would be so dumb. So it gets to a cool point where Larry does a ropey dope, rope a dope, just hanging out in the corner to let um Easy E wear himself out, which was great. Hall, again, who is the freaking MVP of the NWO, does this awesome job of selling the, pulling the loaded item out of his pants and loading the boot. He just gave it a hundred percent. I was like, this is awesome. And then Eric Bischoff kicks with the loaded item. Oh, my. And it flies out of his shoe literally the moment that he starts to kick. Someone for sure got hurt by that. Well, yeah. It, it, was, was, it was not Larry Zabisco. It was, it was not the person intended to be hurt by that. And perhaps the most sad thing is that Bret Hart just watches it fly <laughs> out into the crowd, and he has to just ignore it. And at this point, we have to mention this is a replay. This is not live television <laughs> where anything could happen. You could have edited it <laughs> because this is a replay. <laughs> I'm sure you have multiple camera angles you could use or edit. <laughs> you could have. Because in other flashbacks, when they show matches, they cut. They just jump, jump, jump. But here, they're like, you need to see this whole thing, including the stupid loaded boot. 
so the item falls out, and Bret Hart just decides, I'm going to just punch Eric Bischoff in the face. I guess because he saw the loaded boot, I guess. There was no reason. There was no reason. Punch Eric Bischoff. There was none. That, I, just, well, I, I actually typed, Hart just punches Bischoff in the face. Dot, 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 cuz, question mark? <laughs> <laughs> so again, MVP Scott Hall comes to the ring and sells his ass off for Bret Hart and the, sh- and the sharpshooter. Just sells it like he is going to die. Right, because your special referee is now overtly attacking <laughs> even the outside man. Yes. And the fans are absolutely over the freaking moon. They could not be more excited about the stupidity. It's amazing. So I'm like, why couldn't Hart, I wrote this down, why couldn't Hart just showed up and did this instead of all this other stuff? Like, what, what, what was any of the point of any of that? So Larry gets up and he takes, he takes, Eric Bischoff's black belt, and he chokes him with it. He chokes him That's with illegal. it. That's a very illegal. They ring the bell. Hart raises his hand in victory, and the announcers celebrate like it's 1999. They nope. celebrate it as if it was a legitimate professional wrestling finish. Yes, nobody even bothers to mention what the... Like, they don't even... They don't even fake like this was supposed to have any kind of ending. It just stops in Larry So the saddest thing about this is, with all the legal minutia on this stupid show, the one thing that deserved legal minutia is that this didn't have an actual ending for anyone to get control of this show. (laughs) Oh, that's 100% true. Also, the common denominator is Bret Hart. But neither, but Aaron Bischoff does not bring up that Bret Hart costume. Right. It doesn't bring up Bret Hart's part of any of this. It's insane. Because it's so nonsensical, they really just wanted to get away from it. Except to bring out their actual lawyer. But stop, if they want to get away from it, why did they retake the entire thing? <laughs> a match that was for Nitro on Thunder with no actual ending where the special guest referee screwed them and didn't talk about the most important part of it at all. I mean, it's not the way to get an award for anti-storytelling. It really, it, it is, I can't remember any of this. It is remarkable. It is literally remarkable how little effort they're trying to do to make any of this be actual a thing. Like, they just decided, just with the fast count in this, they just decided it's a thing that happened and everybody knows it. <laughs> oh, my. This is the biggest show of all time. Of all, it was the most important, biggest show that they ever had, and their two biggest matches had two of the nonsensical, dumbest finishes ever. Ever. Well, 
yeah, I think this match probably does not get enough black. Right, for just the dumbness. See, I remember this match happening, but I didn't remember the air quotes finish. Exactly, same here. I was like, oh yeah, I remember there's some stupidity in Bret Hart and Bob and stuff. But then I, I was literally sitting here. That's another thing. I typed Larry Windby and I put 53 periods. And I said, black belt choke? And no, how did Larry win this match? I was absolutely dumbfounded. Could you all imagine paying for those two matches as your cornerstone matches for $60 on pay-per-view, and that's what you gave it. But the thing about it is the fans did not give a crap. They absolutely thought it was the greatest thing ever. So, uh, I mean, who are we to judge? Well, exactly. That was the verified area they were in. But listen, this is what I would say. It did lead to the next segment, which is one of my favorite regular television promos ever. The professor has Larry Dubisco come out, and Larry Dubisco talks about just I, – I was, I was having these matches. I, he, did say, he did say he fought in front of royalty in Japan and then later said he fought in front of an emperor in Japan. But still, he says all these places he wrestled, all these people he fought, he said, you know what, they were trying to build Scott Hall. And they actually talked about their history, which wrestling at this time didn't do very often. He's like – you know, Hall used to fight, you know, they had Hall as this up-and-coming guy, and he wrestled me in title matches, and I made him cry. I'm like, okay, cool. Then he said, one of my favorite lines, he said, I took you to the crossroads of greatness, and you took the easy way out. And I'm going to take that and use it somewhere at some point, because that is awesome. It was an awesome line. It was just a good, solid promo where he just kind of said it. He said, I'm going to fight him. He just, he told the story. He talked about why he was great. Larry Zabisco is, at the time, probably correctly rated, but now I think underrated for his ability to tell a story. He was great. He was great. Now, when Larry Zabisco starts talking about cruiserweights, he's awful, but we'll get to that on another show, I'm sure. Assuming he actually works thunder. He may never, whatever. I feel that the crowd did not properly, like, they don't really respond to this promo. No, no, but, but think about this. They just sat through whatever the hell they just sat through in the arena. <laughs> whatever time that they did, like, we don't even know what they were watching. And then they get that. Mm. You know, it's just like, mm. like, from the point where this, the Steiners match ends to that, it's been a long time. So they're just worn out. We still have, I still have, like, two more pages of notes. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, my. <laughs> okay, so we'll roll on to the second-to-last Nitro flashback of the show. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it, it came at a point where I stopped noting the Nitro flashback, so right now I'm... I'm being surprised as much as I can. Well, good. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just take you through the story because you need it. First off, before they go to the flashback, does WCW fans, WCW shirt fans show up? And I kept waiting for one of them to flash the camera. I kept thinking that one of those ladies was gonna, was gonna go, go in business for themselves for a moment. But no, the flashback is the NWO beating, beating up Ray Trailer. <laughs> after he tried to, get, I guess, get back in the NWO or whatever. I, I noted this. 
And the fist right, the Freedom Dog Race trailer. I noted this because while I was watching it was when we were talking about the NWO package with the spray paint can pin. Yes. And I'm like, this is the first NWA spray paint can in Thunder. Even though it wasn't on Thunder, but still it's notable. I suppose that's true. <laughs> the notability <laughs> look I, I look I had a lot I had to get through this at some point so uh, and I think they sprayed instead of spraying NWO on their back they sprayed Ray question mark and then Hall goes to the camera and goes Ray who Ray who Ray who isn't that I couldn't even tell that they spray it. yeah I think they did Ray question mark I think that's what they did so they're like Ray who uh, and I noted man Ray Trailer got nothing out of any of this like this, this. I mean, I don't want to spoil, and maybe we'll find out that he had a great Thunder career that I missed. But That's very possible. He got nothing out of any of this, except for the next match, which is Scott Hall versus Ray Trailer. Right, the big revenge match. <laughs> big revenge match. <laughs> so the first thing is that. I don't remember why, but there's two sets of tag titles. Hall's got one, and the Steiners have one. I don't remember why, and I didn't bother to look it up, but there's some kind of issue. And he mentioned early in the show, Scott Hall, that the real tag team champion. So obviously there was something going on. I don't remember what. It's probably because Nash could show up to something. And so they had to defend the titles against somebody else or something. The best part of this section was that Lee Marshall says that Hall was possibly the greatest wrestler to never hold the world title. And I'm like, you know what, Lee? Right now, if I'm looking at the show, that's probably true. (laughs) That probably is actually true. He might be the best wrestler that was on the roster at the time that didn't hold the world title. Fair. Yeah. I wrote that Ray Trailer looks like a hobo that was given a match for food. Which might have been harsh. But he had generic shirt, generic pants, generic haircut. Well, you have to feel bad for him. They probably lost all NWO gear. Well, right. I did it in the ocean or whatever. So that's all he had was the NWO free NWO gear. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't do anything to make anybody care about trailer. Or maybe it's trailer. Maybe it's a limitation on Ray Trailer. And he got all the opportunity. He just couldn't bring it home. That's possible. But the fans, and then, of course, the fans had to be worn out at this point. They did not give a crap. Except fans will always chant 10 for the corner punches. No matter who you are, no matter where you are, they will always count to 10 for that. It feels a bit of a lost art. It really does. It really It is not something that happens anymore. Which is sad. One thing I noted here was, is Big Boss Man the only wrestler from an entire county? Off the top of my head, I can't think of any. Again, I've been watching this show for a long time. So, please understand. But I was just like, Cobb County? Seriously, has anyone else ever been from a county? 
So that's the thing, too. If you decide to do some post post under research, that's one for you to look into. Mm. <laughs> uh, okay, so let's see. There's a ref bump. Oh, that's why I noted there's a ref bump. Because after the ref bump, there's a belt shot where Scott Hall hits Ray Trailer with the belt. I know this is important because no one ever mentioned a fine or suspension for Scott Hall hitting Ray Trailer with a freaking belt. <laughs> you were on the case. I was on the case. After I, after I locked down Cobb County, Georgia, I was on top of this, my friend. Ooh. So they are actually telling a story in the match that the fans really wanted to be a part of. Like, this was a story match that they were trying to build up Ray Trailer to be this face, and they were building him up, and Scott Hall was working his ass off to try to do that, which I, I'm so impressed by Hall in this episode, because all he did was work his ass off. So, Tony says, after a, God, I think it was a, I think it was a backbreaker. Tony Schiavone says, how many men have Scott Hall put away with these great maneuvers? And I was like, look, I know that you guys are trying to tell the story so that you can sell Ray Trailer as this conquering hero. But what? <laughs> How many men, Tony, has Scott Hall put away after a backbreaker in the middle of a match? Because I'd actually like to know. I would like to be on the on the newsletter for this piece of information. So Larry comes out because Scott Hall's getting ready to do some more cheating. And Larry doesn't do anything. And I'm glad Larry didn't do anything because I was really afraid that if Larry would have done something, Larry would have gotten fined or suspended for interrupting the cheating. So the distraction causes the trailer spike. Even more post under research for everyone. The trailer spike was the name of the boss man slam he was using. You have a generic guy who couldn't come back to the NWO, who looks like a hobo, and you give him a trailer pun for a finish. And the sad thing about it is, in the South, they could have leaned the hell into that crap and probably did okay with it. Yeah, I don't know what the trailer spike was. <sighs> But the last note on this match, and then we'll move on to the match that in my heart was my favorite match, but it wasn't necessarily the best match. Hall sold that like he got hit by a train. He laid prone and did not move or breathe until they basically cut away. It was amazing. I'm thinking that with moves like that, there are big things ahead for Ray Trailer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
That's at Rich Taylor. <laughs> you know, I'm going to make a page on the opinions and other facts, facts page for our Hall of Fame. I might also make a page for our big things, big things movement, so that we can just keep track of what's happening to these guys. That's a good idea. So let's just make actual notes of this so that we can make sure those guys get the credit for their likely big launch that they deserve. And we could do some major thunder careers here. <laughs> I mean, we're going to see some, we are going to see some major thunder careers. That is true. So now we move to a, a match that was set up, who they beat Psychosis on Nitro to earn a shot at the ultimate dragon is what Brain always calls him, and Tony calls him about 50% of the time. The current Cruiserweight champion for the title. My first note is that Hoovy's theme is great, and I'm glad they didn't have to get rid of it. I always love that theme. Always oh, my favorite. It just always just and and his energy with it was always just awesome. Then I noted that I would have rather watched Hoovy versus Psychosis in reverse than watch. The, the Larry Zabisco, Eric Bischoff match in an entirety. That would have been a good match to watch. In reverse. In reverse. I would have watched it backwards before I ever watched that Starcade match. And half of it. But anyway, I'm going to move past that because I'm going to get sad. I'm going to get sad. Now I have to make a personal note because this is literally my favorite wrestler of all time, Ultimo Dragon comes out in the black and silver and gold and just absolutely crushes it. Just crushes it. He looked amazing. He was so good. In his oh, he crushed something. No, he just crushes life. Oh. Yeah, he just crushes the existence of life. Okay. So we, we do that. We show that. We have him come out. And then they get back to the Steiner fight. Before this match starts. Here we find out why. Yes. So here we find out. Yes, here we find out that Scott Steiner slapped the ref in the back of the head at some point in the match. Mm. They say it's a 5K fine, and you need to watch WCW Saturday night to see the replay. Oh, which is literally incredible. It's incredible. I didn't, I didn't remember to write that down, and I just have to respect the sheer moxie. Of yeah. you got to respect the hustle. you got to respect the hustle there about that. It's great. Beautiful. So we get to the match. Hoovy hits a just Hold a, on. No, oh, no, okay. No, <laughs> I understand. <laughs> Sorry. That's fair. No, I totally understand. I watched Monday Nitro, allegedly, to get my fix of professional wrestling. <laughs> they tell me I must now watch a second program if I don't have to the first program. <laughs> okay. Okay, then. Fine. I'm fine. You know what? Your show's so good, I'll watch it twice. All right. All right. Now I'm on the debut episode of this brand spanking new show, Cool. And seeing all these recaps and seeing exclusive Starcade content. Fine. Fine, fine, fine. I get a world tag team title match. Cool. 
And now you tell me <laughs> I have to watch a third show <laughs> to find out what happened on the second show <sighs> that I'm watching to find out what happened on the first show, which I still haven't found out because that's still coming up. <laughs> This is hell. This is hell. I agree. This is amazing. This is beautiful. <sighs> so we get through that. We get to watch Saturday night so you can see a replay of Rick Steiner or Scott Steiner hitting a ref slap. Please make sure. Please make sure you tune in for 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 Chris Adams' comeback match and also the ref slap on WCW Saturday night. Call your friends. <laughs> Fans, call your friends. You don't want to miss the ref slap on WCW Saturday night. <sighs> okay, so there's so much to talk about fights and cement suspensions on this damn show. There's so much. They spend a lot of this match talking about the fines and suspensions. And Tony is mad, and they're talking about how it should go to both ways. And Tony's like, no, it should just be that we should have to ignore it because the WCW did it forever, which is valid, but... This is a cruiserweight freaking title. No. Oh, that's true. <laughs> Not now, guys. Not now. Uh, so the match is happening. There's a pretty bad leg lariat from Hoovy to Ultimo, which just happens in these matches sometimes. Ultimo hits Hoovy with a vicious face kick in the corner. Like, it looked nasty. It was like, oh, damn. It almost seemed like Ultimo might have been mad about the leg lariat because then when he goes to kick him, he puts some stank on them kicks too. I was like, ooh, okay. Oof. So Ultimo goes for an SIA moonsault to the outside, which Tony knows what it's called, which I was shocked. However, yeah, however, Hoovy was not in position and so Ultimo just lands on his feet, and he sells, he sells the legs like it hurts really bad for five seconds, and he jumps up and throws him in the ring. Goes, oh, okay. Okay, fine. So, Ultimo hits a nasty German, too. Just, Ultimo was laying it in a little bit. But Tony calls it a, Tony calls it a tiger suplex at first, I think. And he goes, oh, no, I think it was a German. And that's when I know, where the hell is Mike Tanay at in this match? Where the hell? He should be here for this. So I can't remember which one of the guys hits a beautiful drop kick from the top rope. It is great. Oh, it was so nice. Uh, WCW loved that anyone in the cruiserweight department could win the belt. They said it during the match like twice. Okay. Fine. I liked it too, quite honestly, even though it was – Weird to have the champions just rotate so much, but if you just make the whole division that way, I guess it's fine. All right. Hoovy hits a lazy Hoovy driver, but because that's not the finish, it's okay that it's lazy. Then he hits the 450, which is beautiful. I've always thought that thing looked pretty. Gorgeous. And it's the new champion. It was a nice match. It was a great match. It was a little sloppy, but it was a nice match. History was made here in Madison Square Garden. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so the last thing that I noted about this match is that Hoovy got to celebrate for literally 30 seconds before Mike Tanay had to get in the ring to start the next interview. <laughs> he got one second yeah. to celebrate winning the Cruiserweight title. 
You wanted today, you got today. I did. I, I asked for this. So I deserve this. I asked for this. <laughs> okay, everyone. That was part one. Tell us what you think about it. Tell us what you enjoyed. Anything we missed or you want to talk about. Part two is coming down the pike soon. Thanks.